Life is back on, sports bettors, and BetUS has your NBA, NHL, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lines up for their 27th year and live betting on all of it. Log in to BetUS.com or call 800-729-3887. That's 800-729-BETUS. BetUS for 125% bonuses with promo code JONES22. Customer service pros are ready to get your phone and social and online sports betting kickoff started now. Play with the proven mainstay in the industry, BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS.com. You can also use the promo code JONES22 with crypto for a 200% bonus. That's BetUS.com. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Zyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, as he is here in DFW to get ready for the opening round of the NCAA tournament as Kansas takes on Texas Southern. We'll have a complete breakdown of the Jayhawks' path to the Final Four. And we'll be talking all things March Madness leading up to when Brian Haney joins us coming up in just a little while from right now. Plus, we will have Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group as well as our Tom Fullery Story of the Week as well at the end of today's show. Thomas Bridges is back here with me now as well for show number two from DFW as we embark on this new chapter and this uh, new journey in the uh, history of the uh, show, Tom. And it is uh, good to hear your voice again, as always, uh, as uh, we've been in a few different places since uh, we last talked. But uh, good to have you back, man. What's going on? No, oh, you know, just gearing up for March Madness and and uh, getting all my brackets submitted. Uh, I think I have about 10 now. Wait, wait, wait. You did so. 10 different brackets? Yeah, I mean, you got to maximize your chances to win the win the money. So you're, you're not the guy that enters ten different brackets in one pool, though, are you? No, no, no. This is like the general pool of like, okay. like so you're ES- you're playing your odds to win the ESPN contest or whatever it is. Right, obviously not going to win. Like, what are the you know what are the odds, but. You know, just making up a bunch of different ones, and who knows, maybe I'll get lucky. I mean, it says, well, CBS, you can submit up to 25. And so I'm like, you know what, why not? Let me just, I didn't submit 25, but I just, you know, randomly went through, and there were some I carefully dissected and some that I just, you know, first pick, you know, instinct bracket. Now, here's the way I I view this. You can fill out multiple brackets, that's fine, but – don't put multiple brackets in the same group. I, I can't stand the guy that does that. You know what I mean? You, you got to. I'm only two groups, and both uh, there's it's a it's a one bracket limit. Okay, so. okay, that's good. That's good to hear. Now, I would also say too, the worst type of guy when it comes to NCAA tournament time is the guy that's filled out five or more brackets, and then when an upset happens. 
they say, oh, I picked that. Like, well, I mean, you picked that in one bracket. In the other four, you had the up, you had the, the favorite winning that one. So, Tom, I am only allowing you, I'm putting my foot down on this. You have one main bracket, and that, that is the only bracket you are allowed to credit yourself with. Your best bracket is the only one that you can brag about when you get your certain picks right, as far as I'm concerned. Is that fair? Because I win the if I somehow pull it off my ten brackets and win the money, you know, then I'll be living large. <laughs> right, right. You you would be, you would be, but I, I don't think that you necessarily get credit, uh, you know, on the on the fifth or sixth bracket if you're trying to claim that you picked an upset to happen, like. Your main bracket is the only one you're allowed to brag about as far as getting upsets right. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't care about that, obviously, because it's all about the one that the money pool's in, right? You would think. You would think. But some people, it's about getting uh, the bragging rights of picking certain upsets. But these uh, these brackets, uh, Tom, you know, you talk about changing of times. Um this was the first year I actually didn't even print out a bracket. I did mine all electronically, and I feel I feel like that, that was almost wrong of me to do. I feel like you almost need a, a printed out piece of paper as, as ancient as that makes sound. Yeah, this is one of the first years I didn't print out one either. Um, I just didn't really mess with it. I just, you know, put mine all in on the app and – you know, so be it. It's easier to track that way, too. But there's some, I don't know, sports religion about marking off the bracket with a pen and paper. I know that I'm not that old, Tom. I'm only 25. But I'm still young enough to remember when the brackets came out and we would go get the bracket out of the newspaper and cut it out of the newspaper and fill it in manually. Like, we, we did that back when I was a kid before – uh, you know, modern age technology of us just doing this all online and such. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't feel like it was, you know, that big of a deal for, like, the bracket challenge, you know. Sure, you filled one out, but it wasn't as serious as it is now, I feel like. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, online's made it easier for, like, work and, you know, work groups and friend groups to, like, do a challenge, you know. You know, I – uh I know that I, I cover college basketball, you know, part of my job and such, and just recently called the uh, Conference USA title game on TuneIn Radio. But what amazes me is, Tom, I think I can only recall a maybe one time where I've gotten the national champion pick right. I've had a couple times where my champion was maybe in the championship game or made the Final Four and came up short, but – the only one I can think of is uh, I picked Louisville to win the national championship. That Rick Petito team, they won it, but that title got vacated later anyway. So I don't know if that even counts. Right. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I, I, I feel like in one of my bracket pools, I had Baylor last year, you know, like still like one bracket limit, like one bracket I might have had some other team. And I know for a fact one of the brackets was Baylor. I, I mean, that's uh, an easy I had Gonzaga last year, and they got me to the final. I had Gonzaga and Baylor in the final last year, but that was kind of obvious. They were clearly the two best teams in the country last year. This one, when you look at this bracket this year, Tom, 
it's a little harder to bet because there's not clear dominant teams this year like there was in uh, in last year's tournament with uh, Gonzaga and Baylor. I mean, Baylor folks won every single game in the NCAA tournament by double digits. I don't know who the national champion is going to be this year. I mean, I picked Gonzaga. I don't say that I picked them again. I don't say it with a whole lot of confidence, though. But I can guarantee you, Gonzaga is not winning every game by double digits in this tournament. That, I can tell you, will not happen. Right. And, yeah, there's no way. Uh, it's just not as dominant like it was last year. And, you know, I mean, Bama might – if Bama pulls through and wins, it, you know, it might end up being that, that Bama could knock out um, Gonzaga. They've already beat him this year. So, um you know, in one of my brackets, one of my money brackets, I have um, – sorry, I have Gonzaga. Um, and then and then in another bracket, like a $5 bracket, I think I have Tennessee. Um, you know, and they very might well lose. But, I, I, yeah, one, the other one I have Baylor versus Tennessee and Tennessee winning it. So that's kind of the – that's not the as serious one. The, the serious one I have Gonzaga. I think I have, we have the same final. As Gonzaga and KU. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned pretty solid. last week on the show, um, I said that I was not sold on this Kansas team because they had not gotten Remy Martin involved like they needed to. And they needed Remy Martin to take a step up and utilize him more if they were going to have a chance. And I think Bill Self was listening to this show last week because Remy Martin was phenomenal in the Big 12 tournament last week. He was the sixth man that they needed. He stepped up and had some big games, in particular that uh, conference semifinal game. He was really good uh, there last week. I like what I saw from Remy Martin. I am buying back into this Kansas team again. You know, Last week, Tom, I said on this show that I felt it was more likely that Kansas was going to get eliminated by the end of the first weekend and make it to the Final Four. Bill Self did exactly what I asked, and so because of that, I retract all of what I said before. And since now Bill Self is listening to me and letting me coach this Kansas team, essentially, and it's working – then I'll say that Kansas is going to make it to the Final Four and get to the national championship game. I have Gonzaga winning it all, but I feel a lot better. And not to mention this region for Kansas, and we'll break down region by region here in just a second, is, is one that plays to KU's liking. It looks really good for the Jayhawks. Um, of any of these four regions, if I had to choose one, I would want to be in KU's region. I think they got the easiest draw and, you know, in some of these years, when it comes to the tournament, we're talking about, you know, when your team's in it, like, oh, man, they got a bad draw here. This is a bad matchup. I don't feel that way at all. I feel really good about the path to the Final Four, the path to New Orleans for Kansas here, that they, they got a, a good end of the stick. And even location-wise, uh, they get the you know trip to Fort Worth this weekend, not terribly far from Kansas City. Next weekend, they would go to Chicago, huge alumni base, and then a trip to the Final Four potentially after that. For not being the number one overall seed, this region played out about as good as you you could have asked for Kansas uh, compared to any of those other three one seeds, I think, Tom. I think they have the easiest path. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, let's. I don't know who you have. I mean, it's like Kansas. Then probably would play. I'm. I would say. I mean, it's obviously San Diego State or Creighton, but you know, I don't feel like that's a too big of a matchup. Where I could see KU faltering maybe is like if Iowa gets past like a Providence. And Iowa's or, playing red hot right now. Uh, they just won the yeah. Big Ten tournament. Um, that is a trap game for Kansas right there in the Sweet Sixteen. That's that's what I you know in another like I said both money brackets but in another bracket I have Iowa beating KU but main twenty dollar bracket is is KU versus Gonzaga but uh, that's that'll be if that ends up being the matchup um, you know that's going to be a, a hell of a game honestly and it you know it could very well it very could well be a, a, a Providence team even who's who's had a hell of a season. They kind of like – they're a four seed, so I don't know how much you could call them Cinderella. But name-base-wise, I think they would deserve the name of Cinderella if they could make it past the Sweet 16 and then, you know, against – you know, maybe beat a K, like beating a KU team. I, I think they would be just – Cinderella. I mean, they're in a power conference in the Big East. You know, I mean, that's no slouch. But by name-base, I don't feel like Providence has made it super, super far before. Right, right. It's been a long time. They've been good all year. They've had a good year, but um, I'm not quite sold on Providence. I have them getting upset by South Dakota State in that first round uh, by the Summit League champions, uh, South Dakota State, uh, there. But you know, we'll see what what uh, what Providence could do. Um, let's go ahead and, and and break this down region by region. Let's start out with the Midwest. What we're talking about right now, Kansas, that one seed, and the two-seed Auburn at one point was the number one team in the country, but they're not playing as good as what they played early on this season. Um, they've taken a step back a bit, but Bruce Burrow, a very good head coach, um, you know, three-point shooting is uh, is their strength there. I would, I, I would watch out for that Auburn team, curious if they can go back to the way that they were playing you know, two, three weeks ago. If they play like they were doing two, three weeks ago, then this team could be a force to be reckoned with. But if they play like they did when they lost to Tennessee in the SEC tournament, um, I don't think Auburn would uh, – that would be good enough uh, for that team. Wisconsin coming in hot, uh, won the Big Ten regular season title. That's a very good team, a very good defensive team. Greg Gard has done a really good job – with that Wisconsin bunch this year. But um, the thing about this Kansas team, I think you have the best offense in the country. Um, when you talk about Ochai Baji, the, uh, you know, first-team All-American leading the way for KU, and Christian Brown, who looks like a first-round draft pick, the way he's played, and the development at the point guard role between Dewan Harris and Remy Martin both playing that position, and the way that David McCormick – and Mitch Lightfoot have come together on the inside. And uh, I, I think this Kansas team's too much. I mean, you look down the line, Iowa's a good team. Wisconsin, good team. Auburn, good team. Um, LSU, you just fired Will Wade uh, before the tournament with the NCAA investigations and such ongoing. Um, I, got, I, I got LSU getting upset by Iowa State in that first round. I think they got too much turmoil That's going on within that program right now. Um, to me, I, I look at, you know, there's some good teams in this, but none of them I, I just fear as a Kansas fan. I feel pretty good about this path forward for Kansas. I'll say this. 
if it's not Kansas out of this region, I might say the next best shot is Iowa at this point. I think that that Sweet 16 game between Kansas and Iowa, both those teams uh, might be better than Wisconsin or Auburn or, or Providence there. That Sweet 16 game might be the de facto Elite Eight game, essentially, Tom. It very well could be. I do like what Wisconsin's putting down. Um, I have Wisconsin beating Auburn um, to eventually play KU in the Elite Eight. Um, so I, I like that Wisconsin team too, um, but I think it could very well be Auburn. But like you said, I think the winner of Iowa, Kansas, and that Sweet 16, you know, I think that would be your your Midwest Final Four team. Yeah, yeah, very well could be. Let's uh, let's move over to the uh, East region on the opposite side. Baylor is the one seed, and what a year for the Baylor Bears to be a one seed again after winning the national title last year. And, you know, you look back a couple of years ago, the COVID year, they would have been a one or two seed then as well. So three straight seasons for, for Scott Drew's bunch to be among the elite teams in college basketball. It's one thing to be on top of the college basketball world. It's another to get stability, to stay up there. And that's what Baylor has done at this point. Uh, a really great job by Scott Drew. And Scott Drew's bunch, um, you know, I, I would say this. They looked really good to end the Big 12 regular season as they were able to knock off Kansas there in Waco and rally some wins to end up sharing the Big 12 uh, regular season crown. But then you get to the Big 12 tournament, and Baylor lost in the opening round to Oklahoma, an upset loss. And that can go one or two ways, Tom. I've always said when it comes to these conference tournaments, either you want to win the whole thing and ride into the tournament with momentum, or you want to lose early and have a week to rest before the big dance. In Baylor's case, they lose early. They've had a week to rest. Um, I think Scott Drew is not going to let what happened in the Big 12 tournament, losing to Oklahoma, get in this team's way. And Oklahoma barely missed the tournament themselves. They're in the NIT. That's not a bad loss by any means. Um, I, I, I'm not worried about Baylor coming in necessarily off that loss to Oklahoma. I think Scott Drew's a good enough coach that they'll come in ready for uh, for this game against Norfolk State on uh, on their opening round of the NCAA tournament there for the Bears. Yeah, I think so, too. I think Baylor will be fine. Um, be interesting to see who wins that 8-9 matchup against, you know, UNC Marquette. Uh, I think that's a 50-50 game, in my opinion. I've, I personally have North Carolina. Um, but I, I think that's a 50-50 game right there. And then you're coming against a team who, you know, is, is you know, you play a UNC team, obviously, that, that, that has had some success this season. And, or you get a an upset-minded Marquette team, then who knows? But, um, you know, I like I like Baylor, you know, in the first two rounds for sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. And in uh, that North Carolina-Marquette game, first-year head coach Schubert Davis in North Carolina, they just beat Duke to end the ACC season, went into Cameron indoor, and what a win that was for Hubert Davis to – Say goodbye to Coach K in that fashion. Marquette, uh, new head coach this year, and Shaka Smart 
if I'm Baylor, I want North Carolina, or, or, or uh, actually, I take it back. I, I want Marquette. That's what I meant to say. I want Marquette because you've seen Shaka, and you know what he does. And Scott Drew has faced very well against, uh, you know, Scott against uh, Shaka Smart over the years when he was at Texas and such. North Carolina playing a lot better basketball towards the end of the season compared to where they started. Brady Manick, former Sooner, uh, doing a great job. He's been phenomenal for the uh, Tar Heels as of late, really come out of his shell a bit there. Um, if I'm Baylor, give me Marquette. Don't make me go through North Carolina. North Carolina, uh, that's a team that uh, I, I, I want to count out. You can never count out North Carolina. And, and uh, I've been very impressed. You know, It took a while for them to get going, but Hubert Davis doing a good job with that bunch then. Yeah, I did. And like I said, they've been playing well as, as those are the teams you always got to watch out for there. I think Baylor, you know, I like I said, I like Baylor up until um, what will be the Sweet 16. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, move on. Uh, the uh, next matchup uh, we're looking at uh, St. Mary's in Indiana there. Uh, St. Mary's, that's a team that Beat Gonzaga a couple weeks ago, and Indiana wins their play-in game in the first four. Now they find themselves on uh, that end of the bracket. You got UCLA taking on Akron, uh, Akron winning the uh, MAC championship there. UCLA, Tom, interesting story for them. Last year they surprised some people, go from the first four to the final four, and you know what a run it was. But this year they were the preseason number two team. And now they find themselves as a four seed and people have had their attention on UCLA, a whole different perspective for UCLA in this tournament. They go from being the hunter to now being the hunted of some sorts here uh, for a Mick Cronin's bunch. Yeah. I still like what they're doing though. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that I have them beating Baylor. Um, I, I'm kind of riding high on UCLA again this year. Um, and it was, it was kind of to pick one of the teams again. It was either UCLA or like ride high on Houston. And I, I obviously maybe I'm, um, maybe I'm biased or a homer in some way because, you know, my high school, all, you know, is, is the Bruins. So maybe that plays, a, plays into it, but I like what UCLA has got. I, I think they have enough to get past the St. Mary's team. Granted, they make it past Indiana. And and then I, I'll tell you, I like the Bruins against the Bears. Really? So you're calling that upset? You think uh, UCLA beats Baylor? I got UCLA. I'm going to tell you this. I got UCLA in my final four against Gonzaga. In your real final four? You got a rematch of last year's final four matchup between those two. Indeed. Okay. Uh, moving on, Texas taking on Virginia Tech. Texas has been so up and down this year, um, but here they are as number six seed. Chris Beard's team just lacks the offense right now. Uh, Texas is the only Big 12 team I'm not picking in the first round. I'm riding with Virginia Tech to get it done. Virginia Tech playing really good basketball after winning the ACC tournament and earning their way into the big dance with uh, that – that conference title. And if, if they didn't beat Duke and win the ACC, they probably would not have made the NCAA tournament. Purdue taking on Yale. Um, Purdue, that's a team that 
folks, is, is playing really good. But Matt Painter in the month of March, track record not so great. Taking on some smart guys there at Yale. Um, Yale's had a, a good year for that program and such. Uh, if you're looking, I'm taking Purdue. But if you're looking for a high seed to pull off an upset, I think this is going to be a popular pick of potentially Yale, the uh, the smarties there at Yale to take down Purdue here, Tom. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like what Purdue's got going, though, too. Um, I, I think they'll be fine. You mentioned this against VTech. I, you know, I'll tell you, this is another upset I have. I got Virginia Tech over Texas. You mentioned they've been hot and cold all season. Um, I, I think Texas comes out again in cold. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right about that. Murray State, uh, they are a seven seed in the tournament. They've had a really good year. Same school John Morant went to that uh, he took to the tournament a few years back, and they've continued on a very nice, successful path since he's been there. And and uh, they, they're in a really good matchup with San Francisco, who's had a uh, phenomenal year. Both these teams, they're high enough seeds. They didn't have to win their conference tournaments to make the tournament. That's how good their years have gone. Should be a fun game that could go either way. I lean towards Murray State. Kentucky taking on St. Peter's. Um, I have Kentucky coming out of this region. The way that this team plays with Ty Ty Washington uh, and Oscar Shibway. Oscar Shibway is the best big in America right now. And if you want to know his impact, look at that West Virginia team this year. If Oscar Shibway is on that West Virginia team this year, we're talking about West Virginia probably is probably ends up a top four seed, and instead they were below 500. That's the type of impact that he has and how good he is and how much he can dominate a game. Kansas had no answer for him whatsoever when he came to Lawrence a few weeks back, and they won by over 30 points at Allen Fieldhouse. Washington's great. Uh, this is the best team Calipari's had in a very long time. Um I'm all in on Kentucky. I got them not only getting past St. Peter's and then Murray State and Purdue and all that. I got them even beating Baylor. I'm riding the the Wildcats to the Final Four, Tom. I I like what Coach Cal has put together here. Yeah, I think that's a pretty solid pick. Like I said, I'd taken, you know, UCLA up there, but that Kentucky's right there with me, and that's more so of a, I don't know, kind of riding it to the end if I'm going to ride the – Reuse the LA train, but Kentucky, I had right there. Um, that's my lead eight matchup. Uh, I agreed. I think it's big in the, in the nation. And after seeing what they did to KU, I've been, uh, you know, kind of watching Kentucky all season in terms of, oh, damn, this team's going to make some noise. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're certainly a legit team. Uh, let's go to the South region. Arizona's the one seed. And what a story for this. Arizona team. You know, this is one of the blue blood programs of college basketball, but just has not lived up to the hype uh, for, you know, the last decade plus. Tommy Lloyd comes in very first year there at Arizona, and they've won 31 games this year. Uh, A phenomenal job for Tommy Lloyd, uh, the former Gonzaga assistant, getting it done there with the uh, Wildcats. They've been very impressive this season, what they've been able to do. But, you know, the the Pac-12 was not that great of a conference this year. 
I know that Arizona did what they needed to do. They won the Pac-12 tournament beating UCLA, um, you know, who ended up being a four seed. But you go back even at their non-con, okay, you beat Michigan, who really wasn't that good. You beat Illinois, and you lost to Tennessee. Um, That's all we really saw. We don't really know how good Arizona actually is because they haven't played that tough of a schedule. Credit where credit's due. It's been an impressive year, a much improved year for the Wildcats, but I don't know how good they really are. And so I have Arizona getting to the Sweet 16. Um, TCU taking on Seton Hall. TCU has had a really good year for TCU standards, and they're playing well down the stretch. When you look at what they did to, you know, beat Kansas there in uh, in Fort Worth to get the wins they needed to to get in the dance, beating the likes of you know Texas Tech and Oklahoma and, and those teams down the stretch. TCU has played some good basketball. Seton Hall at one point was a top fifteen team. They've really fallen off the wagon. To me, this is a hot, cold situation. I'm riding the wave. I'm buying the 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 chart, the high stock in TCU. I'll take TCU here and ultimately Arizona to come out of uh, that foursome there. I like Arizona uh, over those four teams there, but uh, I, I would say that TCU and Seton Hall, to me, is is the matchup that most intrigues me uh, from – uh, of those matchups there, besides an Arizona-TCU matchup, obviously. I think TCU-Seton Hall, um, I would give the edge to TCU, but Seton Hall, if they can play like they did, if they're the team that they were in January, then they would beat TCU. Should be a fun matchup. Yeah, I think so, too. I like the Horn Frogs here, too. Maybe a little Big 12 bias, but, um, I, I, you know, TCU, I feel like, has played a lot better in the second half of the season and down the stretch. Um, so I would give the edge to the Horned Frogs there too. And then, you know, Arizona, you mentioned Arizona. That is an intriguing team of how they're, you know, how good are they really? Um, you know, you mentioned they lost to Tennessee. Well, Tennessee's in this zone. Tennessee's in the South region. So, you know, if it plays out, eventually Tennessee could meet Arizona, uh, for a rematch, which I actually do have that rematch on here. Um, and, you know, Tennessee has been playing decent all season and uh, has won some impressive games, too. So, um, I, I, Jones, I think we're both in agreement, though, that wherever Arizona ends up, I don't think it's the Final Four trip. Yeah, I do not have them in the Final Four. In fact, uh, let's get to our next matchups here. This is where things change. Uh, Houston taking on UAB. I saw UAB firsthand last week uh, in the Conference USA title game. Certainly happy for them for winning Conference USA and getting the job done there. They were so impressive uh, in uh, the you know Conference USA championship. But what they struggled with was the press. And who's the best defensive coach in college basketball, Tom? Kelvin Sampson. I mean, he is. He is the best defensive coach in the country. And I think that he is going to have a field day going up against a UAB team that struggles with the press. UAB has got some good offensive players. Uh, the Walker kid, Conference USA Player of the Year, he can score. I mean, they, they can put up points. But I think Houston's going to slow them down enough. Should be a really good game. UAB is going to be a popular pick. It's a 12 seed, but I'll ride with Kelvin Sampson in Houston there. And 
And Kelvin's done a really good job in the tournament as of late, too, going to the Final Four last year. Illinois taking on Chattanooga. Uh, Illinois, I love Kofi Coburn. Um, that guy is so fun to watch. I hope he gets a shot in the NBA. Kofi, that, that guy is incredible. I mean, he does everything for Illinois. I mean, what can you not like about this guy? And I love Kofi so much that uh, I have them beating Houston, and I got them winning the rematch with Arizona. And Kofi did not play great the last time around when Arizona and Illinois played back in uh, December. But I would expect him to step up and, and, and play well down the stretch here. I'm riding with uh, Kofi and and uh, this Illinois team all the way to the Elite Eight. And I think they have a chip on their shoulder. They were a one seed last year, got upset in the second round by a team in their own state, Loyola, Chicago. Uh, I think they have something to play for, uh, you know, a little edge of some sorts. I, I like the Kofi and this Illinois team, and they're a lot better team now than they were uh, back in the uh, non-conference when they struggled. They fell out of the top 25. Uh, I like that Illinois team, Tom. Yeah, I like Illinois too. Um, but you know, I will I'll tell you I'm riding with the Cougs here. I'm riding Kelvin Sampson over Illinois. Uh, maybe it's a, a subconscious don't like Brad Underwood anymore bias. Um, but I got Houston and Arizona matched up. But you know, I think the Houston Illinois could go either way, and I think both of these teams could, you know, get matched up with Arizona, either one of them and, and win that matchup or you know, I wouldn't be shocked if they, you know, if they, whatever team wins, Houston or Illinois, you know, make it past Arizona and then, and then work their way to the final four. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely doable, you know, especially you beat the one seed in Arizona. Then you, you, you know, your toughest matchup might be Nova or, or Tennessee at that point. Um, one of them. So, uh, we're, we're looking at a, a possible four or five matchup winner of that could be a four five in the in the final four yeah it could be um colorado state taking on michigan michigan should not even be in the tournament and it's amazing they didn't have to go through the first four i don't know who Jawan howard paid off if he had to punch somebody in the ncaa to go get a spot in the ncaa tournament whatever he did and they still got in it baffles me colorado state's had a great year in the mountain west i'm taking colorado state there Tennessee taking on Longwood. How the hell is Tennessee a three seed? This team did everything that was asked of them and then some. Rick Barnes had a heck of a year there at Tennessee. And I guess the committee just said, we don't give a damn about, you know, winning your conference tournament, that they had their bracket done before Sunday when uh, Tennessee won that. Tennessee should be at least a two seed, maybe even a one seed, but – for damn sure, they shouldn't be a three seed. Um, I got Tennessee beating Longwood, beating Colorado States, and uh, ultimately finding their way to the final four out of that region. Um, Ohio State taking on Loyola. Um, you know, there's going to be folks that are going to take that that Loyola Chicago pick over Ohio State. And what I would say is, you know, don't fall for the easy trap here. Yes, Loyola has been on a great run as of late. And I know that Ohio State got upset in the first round last year by Oral Roberts, ORU. But Ohio State, I think that they get back on track. They're the better team here. Don't, don't, don't fall for the trap here. I take Ohio State in this one. Villanova, they're another good three-point shooting team. They played better basketball as of late. 
I think you have Tennessee, Villanova in that Sweet 16 matchup. Tennessee goes on to beat Illinois, and we see the balls in the Final Four, Tom. You know, I got the Vols in the Final Four as well, but a little different than you. I I, I think Ohio State's going to come out with a vengeance for losing to uh, a college beginning with Oral. Um, I think they're going to be pissed off. And I like Ohio State beating Loyola, and then I like them beating Villanova. Okay. Crazy. I like I like a bit of the chaos in March, and I think Ohio State's got some shit to prove. Um, it's not going to be enough against the Tennessee team, and, and the way I've got it laid out. But um, I, I I like the Ohio State Buckeyes. I I think they have they're out to prove something this year after getting upset. Well, they were a two seed last season. Uh, not going to be taken so lightly this year. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Uh, last region, let's uh, look at the West region where Gonzaga is the number one overall seed. And you look at this Gonzaga team here, and, you know, I don't know if they're as good as last year's team. I, I don't, but I know they're pretty damn good. I mean, the, the guys on this Gonzaga team that get it done each night are just incredible. They're so athletic. They're so big. I mean – Every cliche that you want to throw out there about this Gonzaga team, I mean, it it, it applies with these guys. I mean, you, you can't say enough adjectives about them. I mean, they are better than you. I mean, simply put, they are better than you in every way that you can think of. Uh, I mean – you know, it, it's one of those deals where you say, okay, where do I start with this Gonzaga team? And what I would answer is that, you know, with Gonzaga, Drew Timmy's there, Chet Holgram's there. Um, you know, these guys are just out of this world. And if you're going to beat Gonzaga, with Gonzaga having those bigs, you're going to have to have one of those just great three-point shooting performances. And – prevent the opportunities for those defensive rebounds because those bigs with Timmy and Chet Holmgren are going to get those every time, those twin towers they have. I don't see a team being able to stop Gonzaga in the sense of, okay, we're going to get enough, uh, you know, make enough shots to avoid Gonzaga from getting theirs as well to balance out the two. That's why I have Gonzaga ultimately winning it all when it's all said and done. But the path to get there for Gonzaga, um, you take on Georgia State, it should be okay. Boise State-Memphis is an intriguing matchup for me. Now, Boise State's had a heck of a year. They won the Mountain West Conference Tournament. They played some really good basketball as of late. But Memphis is just the more talented team. Simply put, Penny Hardaway has guys that are going to the NBA. Nobody on that Boise State roster is playing in the NBA. It's not happening. Those are good college players. Memphis is a more talented team. It's not that hard to figure out. Ignore the seed lines. Take the more talented team here. I'm riding with Memphis over Boise State there, Tom. What do you think? I got Memphis, too. I mean, Memphis is, you know, maybe not as good as in prior years or in the past, but they're kind of a um, – I don't know. Well, they're the best Memphis team in a decade. First time they've been in the tournament since then. I guess that's true, but they always – I still feel like it's – Memphis is one of those teams, like, a, you know, smaller basketball school. You know, obviously the football hasn't been too bad either, but, um, you know, I, I feel like Memphis is one of those teams, if they weren't playing Gonzaga, I feel like this Memphis team you mentioned, it has NBA players on it. Um, 
I think they, you know, maybe if they were playing like in Arizona, I could see a Memphis upset in Arizona type situation. Um, I don't think they get past Gonzaga, but I do think they uh, have their way with Boise State. Yeah. Uh, UConn taking on at New Mexico State. This is a, 12, a matchup I like for the 12th seed here, New Mexico State. Chris Jans, very good coach. He's done a good job. Uh, UConn, this is their first time being a part of the picture in, in a while. You know, they had that move to the – uh, Big East, leaving the American. They hired, uh, you know, uh, Hurley to be their head coach. And, you know, it's been a rebuilding project of some sorts for one of the better programs in the country uh, there in UConn. And it's been a nice bounce back year for them, but they're not as good as what they were uh, early on when they were a top 15 team, I don't think. New Mexico State, I think that's a bad matchup. They play well defensively. Give me New Mexico State and uh, Chris Jans to get it done in the upset. Arkansas taking on Vermont. Um, last year, I felt guilty of looking at the analytics and picking Colgate to upset Arkansas. Uh, Colgate was one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country, and Arkansas blew the doors off them. Uh, for that reason, I will not make that mistake twice, and I will give the must-bust uh, Eric Musselman, the credit he deserves. He's done a great job with that program. They've had a really good year. They've found some consistency. They've had some good offense. Had a couple struggles, you know, losing to, you know, Oklahoma by, you know, over 20 points in a neutral side in Tulsa, you know, back in December. But they're a lot better team than they were back then. Give me Arkansas to beat Vermont and then beat New Mexico State and setting up for a really good Sweet 16 matchup, I think, between the Zags and the Hogs there, Tom. See, we're going to – this is where we disagree. I like UConn coming out, um, and I, I like UConn eventually facing the Zags. Um, I think this is one of the the bigger surprises. I do like what Arkansas has been able to do this year. I think they've had an overall a pretty really good year. Um, but I, I like uh, I like the Huskies here. I, I, I think it's going to be the Zags versus UConn. Um, you know, I'm – Maybe my um, bracket's a little bit too wild. It's it's going to stay that way. Okay. Um, and then on the uh, other part of uh, this uh, region, Alabama getting the winner of Notre Dame Rutgers, which is uh, wrapping up as we're uh, taping this right now. Really competitive game there, but I don't think it's going to matter. Uh, I like Nate Oates' team. I think Alabama would beat either Notre Dame or Rutgers uh, personally. I don't care what the outcome is and. Just by me saying that, just watch the winner of this game is going to go on and beat Alabama now. Uh, but Texas Tech taking on Montana State. Uh, Mark Adams, what a job he's done. I would argue the most impressive job in the country this year has been what Mark Adams has done at Texas Tech. They lost a lot of guys there when Chris Beard left for Texas, and all they did was get better from last year. And, you know, the O'Bannon kid who they brought over from Oral Roberts and – uh, you know, the way they've played, they're the best defensive team in the country. And I think Texas Tech will beat Montana State. I think they'll beat Alabama. And I got Texas Tech finding their way to the Elite Eight. I think that they pull off an upset in the Sweet 16 and, and uh, you know, they find their way there. I really like this Texas Tech team. I don't think they have enough offense to get to a Final Four or win a national championship, but they have enough with their defense, they're going to give people a lot of problems. I would not want to face this Texas Tech team right now under any circumstance, Tom. No, neither would I. I also have them in the Elite Eight as well. Um, 
you know, I, I think they'll be able to handle business. I do like what Alabama has been able to do this year, though. I would not be shocked if Alabama did end up winning the game. But, um, you know, give me the Red Raiders. Uh, you know, they've been impressive all year. And, and you know, I think I think it sets up. You know, you already mentioned the Elite Eight. I think it sets uh, a Tech-Gonzaga game that will be uh, quite fun to watch. Yeah. Um, and with that being said, Michigan State taking on Davidson. Izzo and company, uh, you know, they looked really rough to begin the year, but, uh, you know, they played some better basketball as of late. Davidson, I watched that game against Richmond, and I was ready to be impressed. Everybody was talking about Davidson, and then they fell apart. They got upset by that Richmond team. I'm like, ah, okay, maybe not. Maybe this Davidson team isn't all that this year. Uh, I'll go with Michigan State there. Duke. Duke, you know, the, the the Banchero kid and all the talent that they have. Coach K's last year and everything was supposed to go their way. And the last couple of weeks have just been a disaster. Losing to North Carolina at home and Coach K's last game at Cameron Indoor and then losing the ACC title game to Virginia Tech. This has the makings of another first weekend exit. I'm going to ride with Michigan State to upset Duke. They've done it in this position in the past where they have been Duke's kryptonite of sorts. I'll go with Michigan State to find their way to the Sweet 16, ultimately for Texas Tech to face Gonzaga in the regional final, Gonzaga to move on. But, Tom, uh, you know, this is nothing against Coach K. I know that a lot of people can't stand Coach K, that he's been just a, a dick or an asshole to, you know, some uh, some people out there and the way that he's done things. But – you know, I, I like Coach Gay for the most part, you know, and this is a guy that, you know, brought back the Olympic team and, you know, the, the high promise, you know, once again. And, and uh, you know, he's been good for college basketball. You know, with all that being said, nothing against Coach K, but, you know, as as a Kansas fan and someone that's seen Duke, you know, be so good for so long, I, I'll be honest, I'd like to see Coach K kind of, kind of exit the tournament a little early, maybe not have that – uh, ceremonious ending. This this retirement tour that he's been on all year, it's just been ridiculous. I'm sick of it. Like, let's put an end to this now. Yeah, I don't like the retirement tour deal. Obviously, you know, uh, uh, any other retirement thing, I, I don't, you know, Coach K, cool. Obviously, my, uh, you know, alliance lies with Coach Pop in terms of coaches. I know they're both, you know, different style of coaches, obviously, college versus NBA, but yeah, I'm, I'm over the Coach K shit. Um, you know, write me a fucking, <laughs> write me a fucking sad song about it, fuck Coach K. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, not really, but I'm just, I'm saying like it's the, the, the same old song and damn bullshit, it's old. Um, that being said, uh, Michigan State versus Davidson, unless Steph Curry walks through the doors, Davidson teams not beating the Tom Izzo team. Duke will take care of CSU Fullerton. And I also do think they're going to beat Michigan State, but I, I think they're going to come to a hard brick wall uh, when they face this Tech team. So, yeah, that's uh, our picks. And uh, my final four, I got Gonzaga, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Kansas. Gonzaga beating Kansas and ultimately winning the title. Tom, go through your uh, final four and champion one more time. So, you know, I, I did I – did, um, fuck up here a little bit. Um <laughs> I'm trying to get to it. We might have the same final four. No, <laughs> yeah, I think we do. You have Kentucky in that region? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I messed up. I have 
Kentucky beat UCLA. I thought I had the Bruins there, but I have Gonzaga, Kentucky, KU, Tennessee. Okay, so you stole my Final Four picks. I, I posted those publicly just on Tuesday. I see how it is. Um, but nonetheless. Hey, you're not playing in my pool. I, I'm in your pool. I'm there. Are you in the Are you in the ESPN one? Uh, I'm in the, the whatever one you invited me to. Well, that's the CBS CBS one. I've been I've been going through my picks. That the the one I'm on here is the uh, uh, ESPN one. That's the that's the money pool. Let me go here and I'll tell you my final four from the the one that we're on. Um, let's see. Let me get to it. While you're looking that up, so yeah, I got Gonzaga, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Kansas. Two one seeds, one two seed, and one three seed. I'd say that's pretty. That's pretty solid. I'm trying to pull it up. It's not letting me. I'm having to log into this bitch again. Hold on. <laughs> Tom looking up his uh, bracket in uh, real time. Uh, very. Enlightening and entertaining info for the uh, folks out there as uh, we uh, get to this. But nonetheless, we'll have uh, we'll have more on the bracket coming up in uh, just a bit with uh, Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks, and uh, later on we'll have Coach Bo's football fix. Plenty to talk about on the uh, football front. Tom Brady is back out of retirement, and we have some big changes around the uh, uh, football front uh, with the. First week of free agency going on right now. We'll talk about all that more coming up in just a bit, plus our Tom Fullery story of the week. Tom, do you have that pulled up now? I do. And, Jones, it is the same as the ESPN. It's Gonzaga, Kentucky, Tennessee, KU. Yeah, okay. So, there you have it. We'll we'll just call it the official Jones Report Final Four. Gonzaga, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Kansas. That the committee has agreed to this. That as long as yeah, the, our top four. As long as as long as three of the four make it, um, I don't I don't know when. I, don't, I can't remember the last time I've gotten the final four completely correct. I never maybe. And and you have Gonzaga beating Kansas too. Yeah. Okay. So there which you have. Which one is it? It's an easy pick. Obviously, like thirty percent of brackets have Gonzaga winning. Okay. So there you have it. That's, rightfully uh, so. Rightfully so, though. That's our uh, official bracket here on the Jones Report. Brian Haney, the voice of the Kansas Jayhawks, set to join us next. Stay with us here on the Jones Report. Joining us now on the Jones Sport this week, he is the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, an old friend of the show who's back once again. Brian, always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend, and this time of year so special, especially there in uh, Lawrence, Kansas. Thanks for joining us, man. Hey, thanks for having me, Tyler. Great to be on with you, bud. Happy for all your recent success and uh, can't wait to see if the Jayhawks can have some similar success these next three weeks. We sure do seem like we're peaking at the right time heading into the madness. So hopefully this continues for Kansas. Yeah, certainly. And this time of year, as we talk about, it's just a different level, different energy. Things intensified there at Lawrence. What's kind of the the feeling over these next few weeks? Uh, I know that you're kind of in and out of town here uh, over this stretch, but always something special about uh, about this time in the in the Jayhawk community, isn't it? 
It is, although for this fan base, they've not had a deep March run since 2018 when they went to the Final Four in San Antonio. Obviously, they had the best team in the tournament in 2020, but there was no tournament. And, you know, I really wish they could have put out a bracket that year because they would have at least been able to celebrate being the number one overall national seed. Uh, and I think that for a lot of teams that had coaches that were fighting for contract extensions or for their jobs, just to put out a bracket to say this would have been the field of 68 would have done a lot. Uh, but uh, can't can't say that they were a one seed that year because they weren't. But, you know, it's, it's stretch of, of consistency of one seeds, uh, unlike any program has seen, whether you include that year or not. For Bill Self, it's it's just incredible. You know, Kansas obviously has a streak for the most consecutive NCAA tournament appearances at 32 straight. But to be in the in the one seed territory, you know, nine out of 15 years, and uh, and then you look at you know the the situation now with you know the, the fact that he's never had lower than a four seed in his 19 seasons at Kansas. Tyler, that's unheard of. I mean, every one of the other blue blood schools has had some kind of reloading or rebuilding year heck Kentucky fell all the way out of the tournament 2013 the year after they won it all and so Bill Self's regular season dominance and consistency is unmatched he would tell you though they got to win more once they get to March and uh, this particular club this particular program since 2018 has had a couple of years where you know, they were just outmatched physically. I think back to the Auburn loss in 2019 in Salt Lake, where the final margin was was only in the mid-teens, but that game was played north of 20 points on the deficit, and they were just faster and got up and down the floor in, in a fashion we just couldn't keep up. That was the Diedrich Lawson team with Quentin Grimes and some of those guys. Then yep. obviously 2020, you didn't have a tournament when they thought they could win it all. In 2021, you know, you get beat by 30-plus by USC for similar reasons. We weren't as athletic. And so this fan base, to your point, has been starved for a second weekend of March Madness, let alone a Final Four run. And now you kind of feel like you finally got a team that absolutely could deliver on that, especially with the way they looked in Kansas City, finally beating some teams going away. For much of this season, Tyler, as you know, it's been cardiac Kansas, as I like mm -hmm. to call them, where it's – Tough on the ticker, man. Heart-pounding action. We had a stretch in January where we won four out of five games all in the last 11 seconds with game winners or game-tying shots. And so uh, that was fun, but it's, it's not – it's not an easy way of living when you're you know, coming down to the last possession every single game. But in Kansas City this past week, we saw a club that – Added some firepower in Remy Martin and Mitch Lightfoot, you know, playing better than they played all season. We saw collective defensive contributions out of the full team look about as good as we've seen. The rebounding was better. And so they're definitely hitting the ground running here in the postseason with more momentum than what anyone would have forecast two weeks ago. Ironically, the last time they were in Fort Worth when they had just lost back-to-back -back games to Baylor and TCU on the road. So I think this fan base is cautiously optimistic. We all want to believe that we're now playing our best ball at the perfect time of year. But we found out with this team over the last five months that, you know, any given day they can be had. It's not as dominant as some of Self's previous one seed teams. And part of that is for the last Three plus years, it's been tougher to recruit in the midst of the ongoing investigation. And so he's made the most of what he has with this group of players. They're not as 
deep or as overwhelmingly talented as we saw when you go up against a team like Kentucky in the field house and there's a clear athleticism differential. But like many self-teams do, Tyler, they found a way to kind of come into their own at the right time. And so that gives a lot of Jayhawk fans hope. And when you consider they haven't had a Sweet 16 since 2018, Lawrence, Kansas, and this fan base across all of Jayhawk Nation is just chomping at the bit, frothing at the mouth to have a big-time postseason this March. So hopefully that gets going this week in Fort Worth. Well, and something that Kansas fans can relate to really the entire country, this is the first normal tournament we've had in two or three years. Last year, everything was in Indiana with the with the bubble and obviously didn't have a tournament the year before that and such. So just getting back to that sense of normalcy here, uh, Brian, I mean, yes, it's been a while since Kansas has had that that deep tournament run, but also just a while for everybody that we've had a true, uh, you know, March madness, like we, like we know and love. I mean, it's going to be great to get back to that this weekend here. Yeah, it it was, it was awesome to be in Kansas city last week and to be able to walk around without a mask, you know, interview players (laughs) in the, uh, you know, in the the corridors of of the sprint center without having to, to be restricted, you know, six feet away they wouldn't allow locker room access, which was the one difference between a normal postseason and now. But uh, still, it, it, it just it felt like we were back to normalcy. But having said that, I uh, just found out late last night that we'll have to broadcast the games on Thursday and Saturday with masks because they want to make sure they protect, you know, the, the health of these teams. And if you're down on the floor, because, of course, last year we'd be elevated you know, high up, you know, we were in Indianapolis, no matter what side it was, whether it was the Farmers Coliseum or going to uh, Hinkle Fieldhouse or whatever, you you were elevated and and kept away from the team. Now we'll be back on the floor, but we'll have to mask up. And I get it. I mean, the NCAA has, has come this far, as you said, not having a normal tournament since 2019. And so, uh, they want to make sure that, you know, they, they protect the health of the players as much as they can. So it won't look exactly the way it normally does or feel exactly the way it normally does, at least for us media types. But uh, just to, to, to be around the guys again, to be traveling with them, you know, we're taping this uh, at the start of the week before we get set to hop on a plane later today. And that's going to be a, a plane chock full of, of uh, KU cheerleaders and the, the announcers and, few family members and all that. And, and that never would have been an option last year. I mean, we were driving separately and staying at different hotels and didn't want to be around the guys at all. And, and part of the fun of this, if you're lucky enough to be on the inside, you know, with, with the travel party and all that is, is the camaraderie, the right. fellowship and the momentum that builds with each and every win as you advance one round further. And you didn't have any of that, no matter who your team was last year because everybody was kept at a distance. So we're definitely ready to get back to the normal March Madness feel. And hopefully that includes Kansas back in the final four for a 16th time. Yeah, hopefully so. Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks for joining us on the Jones Report this week. Uh, Brian, let's start out with the conference player of the year, the one and only Ocha Abaji, who's just been terrific all season long and his scoring ability has been unmatched. You know, I mean, we, we've seen some great players come to Kansas over the years, Brian, but the, the way that he just scores with ease and you've seen the improvement from year after year. I mean, uh, I, I know that I haven't been around this Kansas program as long as you have, but I mean, to me, from what I've seen, Brian, he looks as good as any scorer 
at this point in his career at Kansas than anyone I've seen. I've been so impressed with his ability to get buckets when, whenever he needs to. Yeah, he's he's been really special. I think from the wing position in particular, you look at some great collegiate players that Kansas has had in the modern era, and usually they're bigs or they're point guards. Really, you have to go all the way back to Paul Pierce in 1997, Roy Williams, to find the last wing scorer that did it as, you know, I, I'm going to use the word beautifully, as Ochai does. And, and I'm going to use that because uh, Bill Self was just saying that last week that Cindy Self, his wife, made the observation he is such a beautiful scorer. Everything about his game is beautiful. And Self said it's it's so true. He, he's this incredible athlete that makes it look so easy at times, so effortless. It's poetry in motion mm -hmm. to watch him scoring at all three levels and doing so with beautiful mechanics, with, with the high-flying athleticism. You saw one of the more memorable dunks we've seen, maybe a top-five dunk all-time in Kansas history in the uh, contest on Friday there in Kansas City. I don't think it was as good as Wayne Seldon's dunk, almost a, a – uh, you know, anniversary type thing, the same exact day on the calendar, right. but it was very, very close to that. Um, and, and so whether it's the the beautiful splashing threes or the aggressive attacks at the rim where he elevates and soars above everybody, he really is beautiful to watch. And so I think Cindy Self, the coach's wife, was spot on with her description. And in terms of your um, comparison or, or your you know, contention that he's, he's one of the best pure scorers from that position we've seen, I think you're absolutely right because here's a guy that a year ago was not super consistent, but he went out, went through the pre-draft process, got a lot of good constructive feedback, learned that he needed to be in attack mode more, needed to find a way to be the aggressor. And he's such a nice kid that, you know, I think his first few years he would always defer because he wasn't the alpha on this team. Other guys were, right. but he knew heading into this season, A, the club needed that from him at least in a co-alpha kind of role. We thought heading into the year it'd be Remy and Ochai as the two straws that stirred the drink. We quickly found out in Madison Square Garden on opening night, though, that Ochai was the guy. And then B, you know, not only did the team need that, but he needed to be that for NBA teams to see, okay, you know, this guy isn't just a blend into the, the, the team concept guy. He can take a game over. He can right. attack at all three levels. And so – it was both what he needed for his professional development and, and the trajectory of his draft stock and also what this team needed to be all that they can be. And so it's it's been an amazing ascension. And I think, Tyler, what we've seen, in addition to maybe the best you know wing scorer since Paul Pierce, is this is a guy who's now going to be the poster child at Kansas and maybe all Big 12 schools of what you can do if you go through the pre-draft process, humbly accept constructive criticism, mm -hmm. come back, work your tail off, and then go make umpteen more million dollars by electing to come back as opposed to, well, I'm a tweener, you know, first, second round pick. In his case, he was a tweener, get drafted at all guy. Uh, and, and so many kids stay in because they get bad advice. Well, I think the Ochai Abaji example will be one that Bill Self forever points to of, hey, you come back one more year and, and you really take to heart that criticism you received, constructive criticism, right. 
uh, look, look what you can become because Ochai just made himself millions upon millions upon millions of dollars by coming back as now a projected lottery pick versus a guy that probably would have been on a two-way contract playing in the G League for the bulk of the season and not at all making the kind of money he's about to have a chance to make. Yeah, it's a great life lesson too. You know, take the criticism, the constructive criticism, go back and work harder. You know, that's a, a great inspiration, I think, to these young Jayhawk fans everywhere to see what Ochai's done. It's Absolutely. an incredible story. Uh, Christian Brown's been unbelievable this year as well. Uh, what have you seen from him that has been so impressive? How does this guy do it so well and is such a good compliment to Ochai there? Well, he's, he's really taken tremendous strides as well. And, and I think, uh, you know, it started with him also being a little more complete of a player. You know, in all honesty, the coaching staff wishes he would shoot more threes than what he does. But because he's a 40-plus percent three-point shooter who also has an aggressive beat-you-off-the-bounce, attack-with-dribble-penetration type skill set, he'll draw the defender out and then blow by him. And I think we've just seen him – embrace that role of Robin to Ochai's Batman, embrace that role of being now number two alpha on this team behind Ochai, whereas previous seasons, he was more of a complimentary auxiliary piece. And, you know, his, his uh, defense has steadily gotten better. It's not to where he'd like it to be or a coach will see it eventually, but he's gotten better in that regard. Obviously he's rebounded. Well, I thought he was outstanding rebounder in Kansas City, including a career-high 14 boards in the middle game versus TCU. And you know, that's that's very necessary on a Kansas team that really, you know, always plays four round one and doesn't have super consistent post play at all, uh, especially once you get to the bench. And so to have a wing that can go out and get you six or seven boards a game, or in the case of Friday, 14 in one game, that's been big. And so I think we've just seen him kind of settle into being more of a, a heavy load lifting superstar type player um, versus a guy that his first few seasons, certainly even as a freshman, was capable of giving you a 20 point game once every seven or eight games. But but now he's a night in, night out, 15 and seven type guy. And I think the, the only criticism that we've seen out of him this season is sometimes he turns down open threes to drive it too much. And most of the time he finishes when he drives it, so he can't complain too much. But I think Self really feels that you know, he could be as good as any three-point shooter on this team uh, if, if he took a, an extra shot or two per game beyond the arc. He went through a little bit of a free throw funk for the last three weeks in February. He shot about 50%. But I think we saw him kind of get his confidence and swagger back at the stripe in Kansas City. And so I like that aspect about his game as well. He's, he's still not, you know, a, a superstar athlete sliding his feet defensively. But what we've seen his ability to get up and block shots and elevate and, and all that. And that's certainly impressive. And so there's a lot to like about his pro potential. And while I think some of these mocks that have him in the top 20 or, or even as a late first rounder, that might be a little premature in his development. You certainly see, and Bill Self said this way back in December, he's gone his first two seasons from being a nice college player to an absolute pro. Question is, will he be a pro in three months or will he be a pro in 15 months after having a year similar to Ochai 
where he cements his Kansas legacy as a Big 12 player of the year type guy. You know, it's my hope for him a little bit selfishly here that he comes back and, and does what Ochai did. But truth of the matter is, Tyler, he's put himself in the conversation to be an early entry guy. And not many would have seen that coming at this time a year ago. Yeah, well, and, and you mentioned earlier that, you know, recruiting got a little bit tougher in the middle of the invested investigation going on. But here you have two local kids, right, in, in, in Brown and Ochai both. And you talk about great timing for them to both come in when they did to be guys that wanted to come to Kansas. I know Christian Brown's, his family's got connections to Mizzou, but nonetheless wanted to play for KU and such. I mean, you know, they, these guys don't come through your backyard every year. You know, it's, it's uh, every once in a while. And the timing just worked out great for these guys to come to Kansas when they did that, you know, KU needed them and they needed KU at, at the same time here. Yeah, it's, it's a great point. And, and yet, I think it's a credit to the individuals and also KU's player development that they became all that they did because while a top 30 player comes through the state of Kansas maybe once every four or five years, the most recent example will be next year with Grady Dick out of Wichita. Of course, Perry Ellis, Wichita. Wayne Simeon, Leavenworth. These are all McDonald's All-Americans, but you don't see guys like that, but once every five or six years out of the Sunflower State. In Ochai and Christian's cases, Ochai was ranked 312th at the time he committed, mm -hmm. and Christian was 94th. So you're right. It was very fortunate they came along when they did, but at the same time, it's also a credit to how hard they've worked once they've gotten here and how great Kansas has been in developing them to see the trajectory and, and how much better, you know, of a plane they put themselves on in terms of, of where they rank now. And that's, that's gotta be one of the more fun things to look at. And when you go back to Ochai's story, I mean, how many guys that are now projected number 10 or 11 overall in the NBA draft and, and now, a, a, you know, a finalist to win the, the Naismith or the Wooden Award were outside of the top 300 when they first committed, how many guys that could win national player of the year are guys that halfway through their first season, they were ticketed to take a red shirt right. only, to, only to have the red shirt pulled for emergency reasons. You know, it's, it's such a unique story, but you're right. The timing could not have been better. And to have Ochai out of KC Mo and Christian out of uh, Blue Valley Northwest, originally from Burlington, Kansas uh, guys that, that saw this program as, as, the ultimate, you know, destination spot. And boy, if I could get an offer from Kansas, how sweet would that be? Yeah, that, that really was perfect timing because without them and without Jalen Wilson switching his commitment from Michigan to Kansas after the coaching change up there three plus years ago, you know, this is a very different looking Kansas team. So we're really grateful the guys came together like they did, but more than anything, the way they've grown together once they've gotten here has Kansas in position to really make some noise this month. We're talking to Brian Handy, the voice of the Jayhawks here on the Jones Sport this week. Brian, uh, when it comes to tournament time, uh, you know how it is when it comes to rotations. Usually they shorten up a bit because you have, you know, 500 million media timeouts in these games and such. And so there's plenty of downtime for these guys to get that, that Gatorade and that juice they need. And when you look back at that Big 12 tournament, you mentioned Mitch and Remy and those guys, the way they stepped up. It feels like Bill's really got this rotation the way he wants it heading into this week. And we should expect some nice contributions from those guys uh, the way that they played last week. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that uh, Thursday-Friday stretch for Mitch was the best 48 hours in six years at Kansas for Mitch. He saved his best for last. Then he suffers a sprained knee on Saturday, and so his status is a little bit up in the air. I think he expects to play, but the question is how much bounce will he have? Remy looked like the guy they thought they were getting from Arizona State. He was first-team All-Pac-12, but has never really scratched the surface of that potential at Kansas due to a series of injuries from uh, his back to his ankle to most recently the knee that, that was an issue for nine plus weeks of not sitting out that entire time, but, but nursing it and, and sitting out for a full month at one point. So to see him come back and provide that type of scoring punch and, and just scoring threat, it's, it's such a game changer for Kansas because while Dewan is still the best point guard on this team, and Bill Self will tell you he trusts Juan more than anybody to make all the winning plays. His assist to turnover ratio is outstanding. He was all Big 12 defensive team member, all that. Truth of the matter is, you don't really have to respect his game that much offensively in terms of coming out to guard him from three. They stay back and, and sag back in the paint. And, you know, Wando's hit a couple of big threes down the stretch of the regular season, but largely did not have that in Kansas City. Remy did. And Remy forces you to now guard all five guys on the floor. You can make stuff happen, you know, when, when nothing is, is clicking offensively. And, you know, you look at that potential second round matchup with San Diego state, should they beat Creighton? That's the number two team in the nation in defensive efficiency rating and defensive adjusted efficiency. And, and that's, that's to me the type of matchup where you want to have as many playmakers on the floor as possible. So the fact that Remy now has the burst back, He's got his swagger back. His teammates and coaches are trusting him. I mean, what a shot in the arm for this Kansas team at the perfect time. You just hope it's sustainable and, and that uh, you know he stays in Self's good graces because Self, for much of the year, in the midst of the injury, had a hard time trusting this guy, which is going to always be the case now in the transfer portal era because you really don't know what you have. Uh, you know, These guys coming in for six to nine months, and that's it. So Self's going to go with the guys he trusted, you know, and, and he's now gaining more and more trust for Remy. And Remy's inching closer to that Fokker family circle of trust from <laughs> Meet the Parents. I think he's almost there, Greg Fokker. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think definitely it, it definitely gives Kansas the type of extra boost that no other program in the country has, adding a guy that averaged 21 and a half points a game in Pac-12 play a year ago. Uh, you know, to the mix here when it matters most. I mean, other teams might be getting guys back, but but not like a Remy at this juncture. And so that, to me, is a huge leg up for Kansas if he can sustain it. Right. And you talk about the you know, offensive numbers. This team is, you know, top six in the country in scoring offense already. And you add him to the fold here. I mean, watch out. This was before Remy Martin's big addition of you know turning it up in big 12 play here brian this was already looking like one of if not the best offenses in the country yeah no doubt they've been the class of the league all year at just a hair under 80 points a game and then uh you know with with ochai and christian they did something in december that hadn't been done at kansas since pierce and lafrance where you had two guys average 20 points per game for a full month i think what's impressive to me is you know, we talk so much about Texas Tech's defense and how good they had been this season, a historically great defense in terms of metrics. 
and, and they hold Iowa State to 41 in the Thursday game. They hold Oklahoma to, uh, to 55 in the Friday game. And we wondered heading into the Big 12 title game, does good offense or good defense win out in the Big 12? And, uh, you know, in football, obviously, as you know, working covering the NFL full time, defense wins championships is, is the cliche. Well, we found out that good offense beats good defense when Kansas scored in the mid-70s versus this historically great Texas Tech defense. And that was because David McCormick got it going inside. Abaji had it going from all levels. And you had Remy Martin providing a punch as well. And so that doesn't mean they're just going to coast through their region. Um, obviously, as, as I said, there's some really stout defensive teams in front of them. But the fact that you can't just key in on Oach fact that they've proven as most recently as the Texas game when he went one of 11 and they still won that other guys can step up and put this team on their back it makes Kansas a much tougher out and it, they're not as jump shooting reliant now that, that David has, has had some big games to close out the year Mitch too now that Remy Martin is you know playing like he has been uh, these last three games and can beat you down off the bounce and create things with triple penetration. Uh, it, it makes you feel a little bit better about the likelihood of surviving and advancing all the way to new Orleans, because it's those jump shoot reliant teams that tend to go out early. Cause inevitably you're going to have one of those days where there's a lid on the bucket. Kansas has now proven that they can score in a, in a multifaceted way from all three levels and, and do so with a team that realistically, Tyler, has, has six different guys on this team that could lead them in scoring on any given night. That's a matchup nightmare as, as you size up, you know, Kansas and, and who might possibly stand in their way. Yeah. Who do you prepare for? I mean, it, you're, you're absolutely right about that, Brian. Now you mentioned the, uh, the bracket, you know, I, I looked at it and I thought that it plays pretty well at Kansas's favor compared to the other three brackets. What, what KU has uh, lined up potentially here and, and you, you look at where this Kansas team has been. You mentioned earlier that maybe not a dominant Kansas team like we've seen in years past, but in college basketball this year as a whole, Brian, we haven't seen one dominant team like we did last year with Gonzaga and Baylor being the two dominant teams this year. What do you think about Kansas's path potentially to uh, the Final Four? What, uh, what, what's ahead here? You know, there have been some selection Sundays where the bracket comes out and you're like, oh, my goodness, we, we have by far the toughest region. This this bracket is loaded. You know, we, we got hosed. There have been other years where you're like, hey, I kind of like this. And I'm not going to say Kansas got hooked up at all because there's some really good teams in front of them. And, and at, as you pointed out, in this particular season of college basketball, anybody in the top 30 on any given night can be had. And so that tells me once you get to the round of 32, all bets are off this year, even for Gonzaga. And so uh, it's that type of year of parity. And, and that's where, you know, a, a team on that eight, nine line, you know, that could possibly, you know, take down a one in round two, like TCU is scary because they just beat two top 10 teams back to back in the last two weeks of the regular season uh, when they took down Tech and Kansas back to back. And so it's that type of year in college basketball. Having said that, you know, I didn't want to see Kentucky and KU's region because of the athleticism differential. 
there's clearly some supreme athletes on this Auburn squad that you have to worry about. And so it's not like they were going to get off lights with their two seed, whoever it was. I think Duke was probably the most favorable two that you wanted to see uh, if you were a Kansas fan, but they weren't going to get Duke as, as the number three, one seed heading in, you weren't going to get the easiest two seed. So Kansas versus Auburn, if it comes to that, which it so seldomly does, where the one and two actually advance to the Elite Eight, yeah, you, you got some real horses with, with Jabari Smith and, and uh, Walker Kessler and, and some really tough you know, big men that you have to go through. But uh, all things told, they didn't have to face Kentucky. You, you look at uh, you know, the four fives, and, and obviously Iowa is red hot right now and you would potentially be playing Iowa should they get by Providence in Chicago where you'd have a ton of Hawkeye fans and a ton of Jayhawk fans, and it would be a raucous atmosphere, probably split 50-50. And and that, I think, is concerning to a lot of Kansas fans. But, hey, Iowa's got to get out of the first round first. And so often we fixate ourselves on these Sweet 16, Elite 8, potential pitfalls that never come to fruition. So to me – Everybody's going to be tough, you know, once you get into that second round. And, and certainly, as, as we found out four years ago, even a one seat can be had by a 16. So you don't want to look past anybody. But to me, as this region takes shape, I, I think that it could have been tougher for Kansas. There's certainly been years where you were more concerned when the bracket came out than this one. And while I thoroughly expect Kansas, should they make it, you know, to the final four to have had to go through a gauntlet to get there. I don't think it's going to just fall in place for them like it did in 2011. Um, Whatever it looks like on the road through that meat grinder of of a region, you feel like you're as prepared and battle-tested as you could be because you just came through an 18-game gauntlet in the most competitive conference in the country this year. I know they didn't get as many bids as, as the Big Ten did, but if you Look at how well the Big 12 performed over the course of the season, both in non-con and sadly in kind of cannibalizing itself with teams in the back half able to beat teams in the middle. And that's why we only got six bids ultimately. I think that really brutal Big 12 conference schedule prepares the Jayhawks to go through a region that is very tough, very good, but it's not elite level tough. Like when you looked at 2003 going through Anaheim or you looked at 2019 we never made it to Kansas City but everybody talked about all the historically great teams like Carolina and Kentucky and Kansas that were all in the same region I don't see that here Uh, Wisconsin obviously is one to fear I referenced Providence Iowa we have a ton of respect for Auburn Um, and and that San Diego State Creighton matchup could be a barren round too but honestly there were some eight nine teams that I didn't want to see that we thankfully didn't and, and there was a two seed I didn't want to see, and they're not in our region either. So uh, it's one of those be careful what you wish for things. But as somebody that, that watches it pretty closely and knows this team's weaknesses and vulnerabilities, uh, that there were definitely a few teams we had circled we didn't want to face. And most of those, not all of them, most of those wound up in other regions. So we'll take that. It'll be a lot of fun. Best time of the year, March Madness and uh, Brian Haney. He'll be all over at the uh, Jayhawk Radio Network. Uh, Check your uh, local listings uh, for more information there. Brian, we're out of time. So good talking to you, my friend. One of the best guys in the business on and off the court. Always a pleasure, my friend. And 
I'll uh, see you this weekend in Fort Worth. Uh, glad to have you down here in my neck of the woods now, Matt. Yeah, buddy. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the platform. And uh, as I said, so proud of you and your success. Can't wait to see what lies ahead for you, my man. You're doing big time things already and can't wait to uh, be watching the NFL coverage uh, all throughout the fall. I feel like your first week on the job at your new gig was one of the most talked about weeks in NFL offseason history. And, and so you, you had all kinds of great topics and you're crushing it, man. So keep up the great work and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you down at Fort Worth. Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can find O'Connor Advisory Group online, OHGKS.com, O'ConnorAdvisoryGroup.com. You can also reach out to Bo by phone, and that number is 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. Also, you can check out O'Connor Advisory Group on Facebook and the Coach Bo Knows podcast out each and every Monday and Friday on all major podcast platforms, Coach Bo joins us right now. Bo, how are we doing? Good to hear from you. We're doing great, Taylor. How are you today? I'm very well. It is a, a good time of year with uh, March Madness, but it has been a very busy week in the National Football League with uh, with free agency starting up on uh, on Monday, Bo, and uh, I, I got to start with the the story that, that kind of kicked off for agency before it happened. Tom Brady coming out of retirement just in time to try to salvage some of his teammates from leaving in free agency to come back to Tampa Bay. What would you make of the uh, news of uh, Tom Brady returning to Tampa? I, I found it interesting. I, I'm, I will say I'm surprised. I think most people are. I did hear Mike Florio said last weekend, I heard it on Saturday, Mike Florio said on an interview, and I want to say it was on the SI Media podcast, he thought that Tom Brady was going to come back. Uh, he got a little more in-depth and said that he thought Tom Brady was going to come back and ask for a trade. Um, a little more specific, like to the 49ers. But um, it looks like, I mean, Brady's back. He's going to play for the Bucks this season. Um, definitely did the timing of it was definitely, you know, uh, advantageous because of free agency. So it'll be interesting to see how the free agency plans change for the Bucks. Will they become buyers now where they may not have been without Tom Brady? And now it also changes the quarterback market quite a bit. Right. Whether something's gonna whether something's gonna happen with you know what's gonna happen with Deshaun Watson and you know Ace Baker Mayfield in play those kind of things. Right. I mean, in in Tampa's case, they were talking about you know turning to Blaine Gabbert potentially, uh, you know, as their guy, and you know there was some rumblings about Deshaun Watson and such, but they had really no clear option of where they were going to go next. In the case of the Tampa Bay Bucks, Bo, to, to try to make this work, whether it's one more last run, who knows? It's Tom Brady. Maybe it's two more years. I don't know what it is. But in the Bucks case, I bet they were thrilled to get that phone call that, that Tom Brady wanted to at least give it a shot one more time because they didn't know where they were going to go. I would agree. I think that that probably made um... – Bruce Arians, you know, the BA and everybody over there was happy because, again, I mean, the number one thing you have to have is security at the quarterback position and in the NFL, and he certainly has that now with, you know, bringing back, you know, the greatest of all time. 
Yeah, yeah, I think so. And uh, now you look at that division and all three teams going for the same guy, Deshaun Watson, is the time that we're taping this. And the Cleveland Browns also in the mix as well. Bo, um, what do you think here uh, of those options for Deshaun Watson? Who's the uh, the best fit, you think, for, uh, for Deshaun well, among the four teams in the mix? It- it's an unusual situation, you know, like all three, you know, normally when you're trading a player, you're looking for the best package coming back. But in this case, Watson has a complete um, no trade clause. So he can, he can choose where he wants to go in this situation. Um, I think the best fits probably Carolina. Um, that might surprise people being that I'm a Saints fan, but, um, I think it's Carolina. It's, you know, near his hometown. They'll be a little more forgiving, you know, having the past there, you know, with him being in Carolina, him having played ball at Clemson. He's from Gainesville, Georgia, which is close to the border. I think that those people, you know, those fans will be more forgiving of kind of his indiscretions in the past. He's kind of a, the, the hometown boy coming back in a way. I think when it's all said and done, that's probably the best fit. Um, I don't think Cleveland's a good fit at all. I think Atlanta is a decent fit. Um, and I think New Orleans is an okay fit as well. But I think the best fit for him is most likely going to be, and I think who the team who will end up with him, I think most likely, will be the Carolina Panthers. Okay. And, uh, you know, that's interesting because you look at what happened with them firing Joe Brady, with it not working out with – with Sam Darnold and, uh, you know, Matt Rule being on the hot seat there. Um, does Deshaun Watson take the Panthers to another level? Do they become a playoff team? Do they save Matt Rule's job here? What kind of impact can Deshaun Watson have? And also considering that he's probably going to be suspended for part of next yeah. year, too. Well, that was part of my first thing that I was going to say is we don't know what sort of suspension he may have, if he has one. I don't know. You know, we just don't know what the NFL they, – they, they play a hodgepodge game when it comes to suspensions and, and how they, they handle their players. Um, you know, he does not convicted of anything, but there's plenty of guys who have been through the situation before. Um, I don't know, and I'm not going to sit here and speculate as though what I think the, the end result will be. I think it's the best fit, but I don't know if he'll save Matt Rule's job if – um, I mean, I don't think he would have been a good fit for a Joe Brady offense. Uh, I mean, the other thing I think will be interesting is to see if Carolina has to give up Christian McCaffrey in the deal as well. Um, you know, it's going to be kind of a draft picks plus a player kind of thing. Um, if you're Carolina and you don't have to give up McCaffrey and you get to get Deshaun Watson, maybe he's suspended four to six weeks. If it's on that lower end of six weeks or less, um, yeah, maybe Carolina is a team that could uh, make the playoffs. Either way, you're getting Deshaun Watson. You're getting him for more than just the 2022 season. This guy is a franchise quarterback. There's no doubt in that skill. The stuff off the field aside, he is a franchise quarterback who can lead a team to the playoffs. I mean, look at some of these teams he played on to Texas. They were not great teams. They weren't particularly well-coached teams. Um, I think he is a star, and I think he is someone who can carry a team. 
Um, I think he is someone who could, could save a Matt Rule's job or or carry that Carolina Panthers team to the playoffs. Winning the division is going to be hard, especially if he's out six weeks or eight weeks. But if you look past 2022, Carolina and Deshaun Watson makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right about that. The, the team that was not listed of that group that I thought would have made a lot of sense would have been, you talk about a forgiving fan base. I know it's within the same conference, but um, I, I thought the Raiders would have been a good fit. I mean, you talk about a team that is in such a competitive division and has clearly the, the worst quarterback in that division with Derek Carr. I thought that would have been interesting if Watson would have, would have come to Vegas. Besides the four mentioned there, uh, Vegas was one I thought would, would, would have been a good one for, for Watson, uh, uh, Bo. Yeah, I think that Vegas would have been a very good fit for Watson. Um, frankly, I think the, the Vegas Raiders are going to need a quarterback. Uh, I don't think Derek Carr is going to keep them very competitive in that, that division. Um, but I do think that I do agree with you. I think he would have been an outstanding fit for the Raiders. Um, I think the Texans obviously prefer to move him out of the conference so they don't have to see him as often. But, uh, you know, I, I think that's one reason why I think the Browns probably won't be the team that gets him. Um, but, yeah, I agree with your thinking there that the Raiders would be a, a good fit. I think an outstanding fit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, on the Brown situation, uh, you know, we see this letter come out from Baker Mayfield, essentially a goodbye letter of sorts to the people of Cleveland. And, you know, if they don't get Deshaun Watson, it's hard to imagine them turning back now. And we hear that, that Cleveland say they want an adult at the quarterback position now. Uh, Bo, I mean, look, look at the Browns before Baker Mayfield. What he did for this this franchise and what he did, to, you know, they mentioned they want an adult. I mean, he helped kind of reestablish the culture in Cleveland. Uh, that to me is uh, that, that, that it sounds like a messy breakup is about to go down here between uh, Baker and Cleveland after uh, what was, uh, you know, he looks like not too long ago that the hero that Cleveland was asking for. Yeah, I think this is going to be a messy breakup, as you said. I think it's a great term. I think that we know everything we need to know about Cleveland and Baker Mayfield. There's not even talk about a contract extension. You know, for him to be on his last year, his rookie contract, and they're not to be talking, not even talking about extending him, that tells you all you need to know. They, those two just aren't on the same page. And it's going to be um, – it's going to be an ugly divorce when it's all said and done. I think a lot of the stuff that's happened this season, I think the Beckham stuff, you know, I think that, you know, the, you know, I, I, there's a, Baker Mayfield's a lightning rod. People either like him or they don't. And there's no, well, he's okay. People either like Baker Mayfield or they don't. And I, I think a lot of people don't like Baker Mayfield. I'm one of those people, you know, you and I have talked on here about the, the test. We call it the Ryan Tannehill test. You know, if you're going to be a Super Bowl quarterback, you got to be Ryan Tannehill or better. To me, Baker Mayfield falls short of that. Yeah. Uh, and I think Cleveland knows that. And I think they realize that. And and I think that whole, that whole organization needs help. Uh, they've obviously been a rudderless ship for a while. 
it looked like for a couple of years, there's been spurts where Baker Mayfield's looked incredible. And then there's times where he looks awful. They've put some pieces around Baker Mayfield and he has not gelled well with those. I mean, the examples I'm going to give you, Darvis Landry and, and Odell Beckham, especially Beckham. But even with all that said, I, I mean, I think that two things can be true here, that Cleveland has sucked in finding a quarterback for, you know, 20, 30 years, whatever, and Baker has been the best quarterback they've had in that stretch, but Baker still hasn't been good enough. I think both those things are true. But at the same yeah. time, where is the appreciation, you know, what, with, with knowing what Cleveland has been through, um, you, don't, don't they kind of, I mean, is there no fear of, of stepping backwards of like, hey, Baker got us to where we're at now and we, we need to, we owe it to him to ride with him through it? I mean, where, where's the loyalty in that of, of all that he's been through of what is it, you know, three or four offensive coordinators? I mean, to me, it just shows a lack of appreciation for what he's done. Yeah, but I think at the same time, I think that a lot of it's his attitude. I think people, people that be, the way he is perceived, his perceived attitude. And again, I don't know what people are saying in that organization, but I think there are people who just have a certain dislike for Baker Mayfield. And I think that's what works against him and why he's not getting that benefit of the doubt. Right. Right. That's, uh, that's all fair. I think that's all fair. Yeah. Good point. I mean, my, my whole take on Baker Mayfield, this is going to be an ugly divorce. I think you said that really well that, that way. And I don't think that either the, the Browns organization or Baker Mayfield um, are going to be better off if they stay together. Okay. Okay. Um, Khalil Mack headed to the Chargers. Bears didn't really get a whole lot for him considering what they spent to get him from the Raiders uh, just a couple of years ago. And now we, we talked about the arms race in the AFC West with uh, uh, seeing, uh, you know, the, the Broncos bring in Russell Wilson last week. The Raiders also bring in uh, Chandler Jones. And now we see, Von Miller, uh, you know, actually, Von Miller uh, is going to Buffalo, rather. Buffalo, yeah. back, uh, go to uh, the, the Chargers here. Uh, Bo, I really like this move for the uh, Chargers to bring Khalil back. Uh, didn't give up a whole lot, and a guy that's still playing in his prime right now. Yeah, I think you got Khalil Mack right in the middle of his prime right now. You didn't pay much for him. I think another great pickup was they signed J.C. Jackson as well. And I think that defense there – they go and bring the thunder. I mean, you, you go and get a premier corner, a premier edge rusher, and we're just seeing these teams that are um, – I liken to what some of these teams in the AFC West are doing, in Buffalo, I guess, as well with, with – uh, they're not in the West, but obviously, but uh, with what they're doing with getting Vaughn Miller. It, I liken it to when the Colts and Peyton Manning were a thing. You have the high-powered offense, and then defensively, you go get a couple of dogs who can just absolutely good after the quarterback, you know, kind of like the Dwight Freeney, Robert Mathis kind of thing, where you're just going after the quarterback and after the quarterback because you know they're dropping back. You're in a shootout. And it's the adage of, well, someone's about to score. So defensively, if you're the Chargers, I mean, the idea of having Bosa and Khalil Mack I mean, that's just – you're just attacking and attacking. And you you force an offense that has to stay in a game 
a high power, you know, does be a high powered offense. Um, I think it's a great move. And I feel think Jackson on the other side, the backside of that defense is a great addition as well. I like what the Chargers are doing. I like what the Broncos are doing as well. I think the only team in the AFC West that hasn't done a good job in this offseason has been the Chiefs. Yeah, and, and in the uh, Chiefs situation, you let go of uh, Tyron Matthew. He's gone, essentially, and you restructure yeah. uh, Frank Clark's deal, and you bring in Justin Reed. A couple things there in the Chiefs front. I like Justin Reed. I mean, he's a young cat that's got a lot of potential, and I thought they got him on a good contract. But you yeah, know, Tyron I Matthew, I think, was still in his prime. Uh, I, I would like to see him. Bo, if it came down to Clark or Matthew, who you had to keep, I would have rather had Matthew. Clark had such a down year and hasn't been able to stay healthy, and he's had some off-the-field issues here as well. Um, Maybe the the only logical conclusion I can come up with here, Bo, is they looked at it would have been easier to replace Matthew as opposed to replacing uh, Frank Clark uh, is what this came down to, I think. Well, I, I think the salary cap implications are part of it. Yes. Um, I think that's the biggest part. I think Clark, if you release him, there was going to be some dead cap space. Um, the drop-off from Matthew to Reed is not significant, but it is a drop-off. Um, I think you could replace Frank Clark with a cheaper version that would be just as good. There'd be less drop-off. Yes. I laid out on my podcast a couple weeks, about a month ago. I said, hey, the three, th- the three things I thought were the most important things for the Chiefs to do were, one, franchise tag and getting a long-term deal done with Orlando Brown. They franchised him. They will get a long-term deal done. That guy's going to get his bag of money. Two, get an extension for Tyreek Hill. Um, Tyreek Hill is more valuable to the Chiefs than any other franchise in the league. You got to get him locked up. Don't let him go into a lame duck situation where he's in the last year of a contract this coming year. And then three, sign and get re and re-sign Tyron Matthew. Mm-hmm. Get that worked out. And, and I, the casualty that I said, the casualty you're going to have to have is going to be Frank Clark because those three players are going to cost you upwards of about sixty million when it was all said and done. Yeah. Um, but. The, I mean, the Chiefs opted to save the money off of Matthew. They, they're probably going to get Reed at you know two thirds the cost. They're going to spend the money on Brown. I guess the, that was to me the most important part. And then they'll get the Tyree Kill thing done. Um, they'll get that done next, I think. And then Frank Clark, by keeping him, I think that the it's more of a salary cap situation, and maybe hope maybe hoping he'll be healthy enough to be the Frank Clark he was really three years ago. Yeah. Now, uh, I think the Chiefs still have to find a number two receiver, Bo, whether that's Juju or Jarvis Landry, somebody to that effect. Uh, I think they're going to have to, you know, open up that, that, uh, that paycheck, uh, that, that, you know, that, that checkbook and go get that number two receiver. What say you? I agree. And I think Jarvis Landry would be a really good fit. Uh, Jarvis is a good route runner. They need a route runner. I, I mentioned the Tyreek Hill thing earlier. I'll, I'm going to say it like this. I don't think he's a great receiver. But I think he has more value to Kansas City than any other team. 
because he's the perfect down the field threat that only Mahomes can get the ball to. You know, only someone with Mahomes' kind of arm. I Josh Allen, you could argue, has the same same kind of type of arm. Um, but I think that that's what makes Tyreek Hill so valuable. Um, you know, if, if it was a, if he was going to a team, if he was going to play in Denver, you know, all things being equal, Russell Wilson can't make those kind of throws. Sure. So it, it would lessen Tyreek Hill's value. But I think a number two receiver, a, what, what really is a number one receiver, and Tyreek Hill being your deep threat, I think that's really what the Chiefs need. Um, I think Jarvis Landry can be that guy. Um, I wouldn't be surprised they go look in the draft. It wouldn't be surprising to me to see the Chiefs trade up if they like somebody mm-hmm. in this draft. There's a couple of good receivers in this draft. Um, I think that's what the Chiefs need to start looking at, is, is, is getting a couple – the offensive help they need this offseason is definitely going to be a 1 or 1A one receiver. Uh, let's move on. Talk uh, Von Miller now. Uh, we mentioned six-year contract with the Bills. That's a long contract for you know a guy that's on the end of his prime. You know on the back end, but Bo, uh, it's it's not necessarily what you think because it's only the first two years guaranteed yeah. here. Um, this is more friendly, I think, for the Bills than people may realize uh, as far as that goes. Yeah, I mean, if it's if if most of the money's padded up front, I understand it was forty five million is guaranteed the first two years, and that's all the guarantee money. Um, you know, Buffalo can afford that right now to their cap. Good for them. Um, I, I think it's a great fit. I think that that's the one thing that defense really needs is a really good top notch edge rusher. Buffalo's making this deal because they realize in a playoff situation. They're facing a Mahomes, a um, a Herbert, a Burrow, a Lamar Jackson, and you've got to put pressure on the quarterback. Mm-hmm. You're going to be in shootouts, and so you've got to put pressure on the quarterback. Mm-hmm. And I think that I, I think it's a good fit. I mean, we've seen that Von Von Miller's not going to go out, and this is the thing I think people need to understand with edge rushers: they're not going to be on the field 45 times. They're not going to be out there 40 times and getting after the quarterback. It's really about a 10, about 10 plays a game. Yeah. It's about 10 plays a game. It's that third and long. It's that second and seven that you get the sack or because you like something you're going to match up to that makes it third and 15. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the third and nine that now they're punting. It doesn't have to happen every play. It's going to happen – on those downs, it's going to happen generally late in the game. And that's when you need a player like a Von Miller, like a Khalil Mack. Well, in, in, in the Bills case, you look at last year, right? I mean, they were one play away for the AFC Championship game. Is it? Yeah. And the year before that, they were in the AFC Championship game. And, you know, the Rams would not have won the Super Bowl without Von Miller. I mean, that was a great trade for them at yeah. the time. You know, he, he's he's the difference in them winning and losing a Super Bowl. You know, I mean, they, they don't win it without. In this case with the Bills, um, you know, realistically, let's say he's there two years, but 
that might be the edge the Bills needed. If he can stay healthy, this could put the Bills finally over the edge, that thing that they were looking for. Yeah. I mean, right now, you're if you're those top-tier teams, if you're uh, Buffalo, Kansas City, you know, now the Chargers, I uh, count them in that group. I, I really think Denver's moves are going to put them in that group as well. You're just fine-tuning. You're saying, okay, what is that one piece we need? I think especially for Buffalo and Kansas City. And a Buffalo's need defensively is attacking the quarterback. I think this is a fantastic move. When I saw the alert, I got the alert on my watch, and I looked at it, and I was like, uh-oh. I mean, Vaughn Miller a few days ago was kind of hinting at going back to Denver. Mm-hmm. And that would have been a game changer. This, yeah. to me, is a game changer as well. I think the – I mean, there's going to be more free agency to happen, and I don't want to get too hyperbole, but look at what's all returning to Buffalo mm-hmm. and what little they've lost. That's an impact signing. That's, a, that's the signing that you go, wow, they didn't need a whole lot, and they went and addressed that, and they're real good. To me, I still – I have Buffalo as the favorite in the AFC. Yeah, I don't like to pick any favorites or anything until after the draft either, but I can see where you're going with that. Yeah, and, and that can all change based upon another couple of free agent signings. I mean, if Tyron Matthew ends up going somewhere in the AFC West or, um, you know, ends up, you know, if the Bengals go and grab two more free agents, if the Bengals went and got, you know, Tyron Matthew and uh, Taron Armstead to play left tackle, I'd be thinking about them and be worried about that one too. You know, that kind of thing. Um, But I, I I think that right now I, I, I I like what they're doing. Yeah, I think so. Um, How about them Cowboys? Huh? Um, (laughs) Oh my gosh. If you're a, a Cowboys fan, I don't know how you can sit here and feel like your team has, made any progress at this point this offseason. They are significantly worse than they were two weeks ago. Yeah. You trade Amari Cooper for peanuts. Um, and then this Randy Gregory deal that Stephen Jones screwed up of, you know, them agreeing to terms and then him trying to change the contract, going against his word and losing him to the Denver Broncos and such. Um, Cowboys are going to Cowboy here. And looking ahead, too, Bo, I think Cowboy fans were kind of excited about the future after Jerry when Steven would take over. There was some optimism that he would do things the right way, that Steven would bring in football people and such, and he still might do that. But I think what you saw this week, if Steven kind of making some of those decisions and such, I think you've got to be terrified if you're a Cowboy fan going forward, knowing that, uh, that you know, that – Steven's doing the same crap that his dad. Well, Tyler, I think you make a great point on the Steven Jones piece. I think a lot of people, myself included, had hoped that when Steven Jones was eventually going to take over for Jerry Jones, he would hire some football people. He'd be a little more savvy about the football situation. Um, as much as I think Jerry Jones is a great businessman, and a, and a sports owner, I mean, what he's done as the owner of the Cowboys has been phenomenal. But what he's done as a personnel person has been, I mean, piss poor. Let's just be honest. 
Um, this Gregory situation, I think, is laughable. It's just, it's just a showing a whole complete and total lack of understanding of what's going on. Um, you know, you get nothing for Amari Cooper. This is just bad, bad business in this case. The Cowboys, to me, are a team that's just, I don't want to call them a laughing stock. They certainly aren't. But it, it's the gang who can't shoot straight, apparently. Yeah. And right now, they they got a lot of issues. And I think it starts at the top of the Jones family. I think they need to seriously consider stepping away from the day-to-day operations, and they need to bring in a football person. You know, when that organization was at its very peak, Jerry Jones was not involved with the football day-to-day operations. It was all Jimmy Johnson. Right. They haven't been right since. They... They tried to bring in Bill Parcells and let Bill Parcells do some things. The problem there was they never gave Bill Parcells the keys to the car. They were letting him rent it on the weekends. You know, it's like you, you know, it's like you're giving your car to the teenager. You know, sometimes you just got to give them the damn car. Right. I, I think this is a problem with the Jones family. And you're not going to be able to tell them that. They're not going to believe. They're not going to understand that. It's mm-hmm. just going to have to happen the way it's going to have to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Uh, another loser of a free agency, the the Jags just continue to make dumb decisions, and one of those is overpaying Christian Kirk. And you talk about people being in the wrong position. You know, Byron Leftwich turned down the Jags job because – he was not going to have a new GM and he was not going to have a say in who he was going to work with and that the GM was going to stay there. And now we're seeing why Byron Leftwich uh, decided to leave when the money they're paying Kirk and stuff, when, why he didn't take that job. When you see the money that, that Christian Kirk is getting and such, and, and I know that they've signed some guys and such, and, you know, they hired a good head coach in Doug Peterson, but, I mean, what a what a mess uh, the Jags continue to be here, Bo. Yeah, the Jags are the team who, you know, on my podcast, on the Coach Bono's podcast, I make fun of the Jags. I make fun of the Khan family, whether it's the Jacksonville Jaguars or AEW wrestling. Um, and I say, hey, look, guys, you've got to hire me to come in here and fix this for you. Uh, and the reason being is that they just don't seem to have a direction. And yeah, they, the, the easiest thing they could have ever done was hire Byron Leftwich. It was the perfect hire for them. And they, he didn't take the job. He wanted the job. He didn't take it because, like you said, he didn't want to work with the general manager. And if you're Jacksonville, you're going to have to overpay players to come there. I get that. But a couple of these things are just some poor decision making. Um, I have uh, that that contract was way too much. Um, there's it's just a horribly run situation. I think that Tony Khan, really, uh, Shad Khan, I'm sorry, Shad Khan, the father who owns the team, I think he wants so bad for the Jacksonville Jaguars to be the London Jaguars and just to get them out of Jacksonville, get them to London somehow, some way. It's not going to happen. But until they figure something out, they're going to be the laughing stock of the league. And the person I feel worst for is Trevor Lawrence. I mean, he's stuck there. Right. They're stunting his growth. They're ruining his career. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's yeah. a sacrificial lamb in all this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if we were talking about Baker Mayfield, I feel ten times worse for Trevor Lawrence than I do for Baker Mayfield. Yeah, and I just think that's that organization. You know, it's hard. They're the only only real small city. You're, you know, the, the small town. If you if you compare it to baseball, small market team. But they could be so much better than they are. It's just a total lack of leadership from the top, and that's where that, that's where their problems are going to. And until they make wholesale changes and bring in somebody, I think in the NFL, the three most important jobs are general manager, head football coach, and quarterback. Mm-hmm. The head coach and the quarterback must be on the same page. Yeah. The head coach and the general manager must also be on the same page. And if those three, you don't have that synergy, your franchise has no chance. Right. And Jacksonville apparently has a general manager that nobody wants to work with. A quarterback that most coaches would love to work with, thus Doug Peterson going there. But if you can't get the general manager and the head coach in the same situation, um, it, it's not going to be a good fit for anybody when it's all set up. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. Um, as we're wrapping up here, Bo, uh, looking ahead to the next few days, besides Deshaun Watson, what do you expect to unfold? What are some uh, moves you see remaining here in uh, this uh, this next round of a free agency? I think I think we're going to see two things. One, I think we're going to see a little bit of a pause until the Deshaun Watson situation is uncovered. I think Von Miller wasn't going to be dependent on Sean where Deshaun Watson ended up. Once the Deshaun Watson decision has been made and he's been traded, I think the interesting part will be where do the veteran free agents end up? The Tyron Matthews, the Leonard Fournette's, the um, – the, those guys. Um, I just saw Jarvis Landry is another one I'm thinking of. When you see these kind of players, um, who was the one I just saw that just got was about to get cut? Um, oh gosh, we were thinking this earlier. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm uh, getting out of there for a second. But these veteran players who are out there who are going to sign one and two year contracts, I want to see where they land because I do predict that I think we're going to see them land with the five or six top quarterbacks, with Brady, with Rodgers, with Allen, Mahomes, Herbert, Burrow. It'll be interesting to see what happens. These guys are not going to be taking two-year deals or one-year deals to go to play for the Atlanta Falcons or a two-year deal to go play for the Indianapolis Colts. They're going to go – a lot of these veteran guys, and Dominic Sue is another one of those guys. He's a free agent now. These guys are going to land on one-year deals or two-year deals, like Von Miller's deal, but he's kind of truncated. And it's going to be with those quarterbacks. These guys are going to play for the ring. If they're going to keep playing, they're playing for the ring. And because the money's all going to work out the way it's going to work out. Yeah. I think you're right about that. Uh, I think that's, that's the interesting thing I think of the next 10 days to take a look at. Yeah, and, and uh, Matt Ryan also, uh, you know, he could be on the move if uh, Deshaun Watson uh, ends up going to Atlanta. And 
Baker Mayfield yeah. could be out of Cleveland anyway. I mean, all these quarterback changes, we are far from over at this point. Yeah. I, I think we've seen the best quarterbacks move. I mean, obviously we have the Watson deal. But after that, it's going to be interesting to see. I think the other one to take a look at is going to be the Raiders. Are the Raiders going to try to upgrade Derek Carr? Because if they don't try to upgrade Derek Carr, if they think that's their guy, they have to extend him. He's on the last year of his contract coming up now. They can cut bait, cut bait right now if they want, and they don't have any salary cap issue with that. I think that'll be interesting to take a look at as well. Yeah, I think so. Uh, last thing, we'll end on uh, this, Bo. Uh, you know, not only is uh, free agency and uh, trades going on in uh, on the football field, but off the field as well, as uh, we see Joe Buck and Troy Aikman headed to Monday Night Football. Yeah. We're hearing reports that Al Michaels is on the, the half-yard line of joining Thursday Night Football on Amazon with Kirk Herbstreit. The Fox booth, uh, looks like Kevin Burkhart's going to be that guy, potentially join with his current partner, Greg Olson, or maybe Sean Payton or Michael Strahan. A lot of moves in uh, broadcasting uh, that are exciting. And and Troy Aikman, he's about to make more money with ESPN than he did his entire playing career. Just wild what's going on uh, on uh, the the TV front here. Yeah, the Romo effect has hit Aikman. And – you know, Romo had got so much money with CBS that now Aikman's cashing in. I think Aikman's a little better than Romo. Uh, he's actually the one who I think will be a little more critical than Romo is. Um, I like what Tony Romo does a lot. Don't get me wrong. But I, I think that Aikman's even better. I was happy to see that Aikman and Buck get to stay together. You know, Joe Buck gets a bad rap, I think, with people. I love Joe Buck and Troy. I, yeah. I have said, I think, you know, I, I'm someone who's called games with you before, and I think that you're, I mean, you're a great play-by-play guy. I think being a play-by-play guy is so incredibly hard. The guys who are the analysts, we get to enjoy the football piece. We get to nerd out on that a little bit. But a good play-by-play guy like Joe Buck, I think Joe Buck's just incredible because they're doing, they got a producer telling them one thing, They've got the, they're trying to get the analysts involved. They're trying to take care of the play on the field. They know the next play coming up. They're trying to kick to a commercial. They've got to do a live read lots of times. I mean, that's a hard damn job. And there's been nobody, especially in the modern era, I mean, especially in the last 10, 15 years, to Joe Buck. Um, I mean, Al Michaels is probably the greatest of all time. But he, he, there's still times where he is having some issues from time to time getting in and out. It's just always smooth with Joe Buck. Him and Aikman have become a well-oiled machine together. They're going to be great on Monday Night Football together. Um, I think that'll be. I think it's incredible for Joe Buck that he got that opportunity. They get to keep them together. I would love to hear. And I don't know if you know this or if any if it's, if, if if this information will ever get out. What did ESPN have to give up? to get Joe Buck out of his last year of his contract with Fox. So the rumor is they had to give up the Ohio State-Notre Dame game. Okay. So I, I had heard on, I think it was the Marshawn and Oron uh, podcast, that um, Fox was going to ask for up to three Big Ten games. And I had heard either the Notre Dame-Ohio State game or the Ohio State-Michigan game. So I was curious to see which one it was going to be, right. if that was going to be it. 
and, and it's still to be sorted out publicly. Uh, we'll find out, but that's uh, that's the rumor is that it's that. But um, you know, as far as Monday Night Football goes, Bo, um, you know, ESPN. It was. It's been a long time since Monday Night Football's been good. You know, uh, since I think Tarico and Gruden. But the history of Monday Night Football, when you go back to, you know, Don Meredith and Frank Gifford, and you know, then you had the Al Michaels and John yeah. Madden era, and Tarico and Gruden and such. I mean, there's so much history and tradition. Um, to me, this felt like for Buck and Aikman, although Monday Night Football hasn't been that great of sorts. This is kind of them establishing their historical identity of sorts, like that, you know, they, they want to do the primetime game, be on, on ESPN and be remembered for a long time, not just another group in the afternoon, but this is, this is like a, a legacy deal. And I know that sounds weird to say for broadcasters, but that's kind of the vibe I got from this, uh, a why they would make this type of move. Yeah. I, I, I see where you're going with that. I, in the end, I think that Aikman did it for the money. I mean, that he was going right. to get a lot more to go to ESPN than he was going to get to stay at Fox. Um, and I also think Aikman has been real blunt about, you know, he has a history with of another Fox um, another Fox sports employee, if you will, that he doesn't like that works there. And, and I think mean, you and I know who that is and what that story is all about. Um, I'll just say it's Skip Bayless. And he doesn't like, I think it's his opportunity to kind of say, hey, I'm going to take my money. You guys want to skip Bayless. And I think that's part of what's going on in his mind, too. Then. Yeah, skip Clueless. Yes. Yeah. And, and if you don't know the whole story of what's between them, you can read Skip Bayless' right. book on the Cowboys. It's, well, and, it's, and then, you know, Joe Buck's wife works at ESPN. Uh, Michelle yeah. Buck. And so, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that, I think, I do see where you're going with the legacy piece. I think... To me, the curious part was when I said this on my podcast, I was gonna wonder more and most importantly, I mean, obviously I think that football-wise, Fox had some replacements already. I think Burkhart's gonna do a great job. I think I like Greg Olson. Um, they're not worried about having the big name, uh, as far as the the, the analysts. They don't have a Romo or an Aikman or someone like that. Um, I think so badly ESPN wanted Peyton Manning to be Monday Night Football for the last few years. Right. They've had to settle on the Manning cast. Yeah. But I think um, the important thing, with the, the weird one with the, the Buck deal was Buck and his impact with baseball. Right. And, and Joe, you know, Buck had made it clear even a few years ago, he baseball was going to be the first sport he would pull out from. That he would, yeah. He's been doing it since he was 25 years old. And Joe Davis, I think, is just as good as him. Yeah. Um, you know, he's the voice of the Dodgers, too. I think he'll do a great job in that role. Yeah. It, it, um, it's funny to me. Fox has done the thing of they're not going to spend a, a, a load of money on that, that high-end talent. And I think they look at it as a return of investment situation. Right. When does having the big was so desperate, they can't develop talent like Fox. Uh, yeah. Fox is a deep bench that ESPN doesn't have. So yeah, very interesting on that. Front. The lack of the lack of big names in the booth on ESPN has been it's been drastic since John Gruden left. Yeah, it has. Uh, Lewis yeah. Riddick was good, but I, I don't think I think ESPN knows that you know he's looking at GM options and he's not going to well, be around. You know, so. yeah, I, I think Lewis Riddick's as good as any of them. I think the issue is he's not the big name. 
Right. You know who Troy Aikman is. You know who Tony Romo is. And it took Herb Street 20 years to become that name. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's all good points. Ball, we're out of time. Appreciate you joining yeah. us real quick. What's coming up on the, uh, the podcast this week? Hey, we are talking about a lot of this NFL free agency. We're going to hit baseball free agency. And um, then we're going to talk about some uh, – if you haven't seen it, as we talked to pre before we got on, uh, we talked a little bit about winning time on e, on HBO and uh, that Lakers show. I think it's really – I've really liked what I've seen the first couple episodes. We're going to talk a little bit about that. I'm getting uh, – Token Girl Ellen is going to be on with me this week, and uh, Ellen's talking about that, and she hasn't seen it yet, so I'm trying to talk her into watching that. I think it's a really cool show, and I think if you guys should check it out. It's uh, – a it, it's a comedy. It really is. It's, 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 it's really good. It's good stuff. Awesome. Bo, appreciate the time as always. Have a great week, my friend. And hey, thank you, Tyler. Hey, take care, bud. You have a good weekend. I'll talk to you soon. A couple more things before we wrap up today's show. Let's go to the NFL front, continue our discussions uh, that we had with uh, Bo there from just a few moments ago. Uh, first off, uh, with the Tom Brady news, if Tom Brady coming back, to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I hear from Tom Brady's dad, he's blaming the media for rushing the decision and all this, uh, you know, from the initial reports from Jeff Darlington and Adam Schefter and how that impacted the situation and such. And look, you know, the, the easy thing to do is always blame the media. That's the scapegoat of some sorts and, you know, the, the media, I guess, had to be the fallout guy. You know, to me, I find it a little ridiculous that a guy that, you know, took on the NFL in deflate gates and, you know, went through Spygate and dealt with Bill Belichick and, and Robert Kraft and, and all that and is playing through his 40s, you know, that the media was really a factor in his retirement. I'm not buying that whatsoever. But what I will say is, in Tom Brady's case, I appreciate Tom that he actually is, you know, he changed his mind pretty fast and that's it. You know, that this is not like a Brett Favre situation of a long drown out process of where Brett's deciding around training camp when training camp's almost over that, oh, you know what? I want to go ahead and play. And then everyone else having to adjust and such. The fact that he did it before free agency began and try to convince guys to go ahead and come back and such. And, you know, that he still has that itch to play. I didn't want Tom to retire. Um, I wanted to see Tom Brady come back and play. I'm happy to see him come back. And and I have no problem with what he did. Uh, he has the right to change his mind. And I think that he handled it okay. Uh, that's I, I know it sucks for you, Tom, that you thought that you had a moment of seeing his last game and, and seeing the, the Rams retire him, I know that might be a different story for you or maybe that guy that bought that football for $500,000 thinking that was his last football he'd ever thrown or something like that. I can understand that. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, I have no problems with how Tom handled this. Uh, just just the media – blaming the media is just the lazy thing here. Uh, yeah, maybe a little bit. Um, you know, I for me, it's Tom Brady can go to hell. Um, you know, stealing a great sports moment for me. You know, I don't have kids, and I don't necessarily plan on having kids in in a, any crazy of the near future. Uh, but that's what you tell your kids about. And so, damn Tom Brady, I hope they lose every game, or I hope he missed the playoffs. 
I hope is because now we obviously know, you know, you want you want to talk about earlier on the show, uh, talking about Coach K's bullshit on the retire swan song. This is what Tom Brady wants. He wants everybody to jack him off in every little stadium he goes to. Uh, so, so as far as I'm concerned, Tom Brady can it off. Um, you know, the Bucks. Uh, obviously, they held out hope, thinking he would maybe come back, and they got their wish uh, because the Bucks were about to go back into mediocrity. Um, you know, so and maybe still, who knows? I don't. I don't know. Another season, another toll on the bot. Maybe I'll just have to go see the Rams beat them again. Um, for what I, for what it's worth, I hope it's not because if they meet again, that means they would meet in the playoffs. And um, I hope Tom Brady misses the playoffs. It would be the end um, for him to come back like that and then miss the playoffs. Because um, obviously we know why he came back. He either, one, hates his kids um, – or two, obviously, wants another Super Bowl. Um, the greedy son of a bitch. Um, but uh, I did, I did enjoy the memes. I don't know. I, I don't. I'm not a meme connoisseur by any means. But I did enjoy the memes of um, you know they, they said Tom Brady goes two months and you know or Giselle asked him to go to Whole Foods to go grocery shopping for and gets in the middle of Whole Foods and has a mental breakdown and says, I can't do it. I'm going back. Right. I'd rather get hit by 300 pound linemen than being home with my kids is what Tom Brady. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, it's, it's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, especially, did you see the Andrew Whitworth? Um, I'm not sure if you saw that at release like yesterday, um, the footage of Andrew Whitworth for the Rams at the Super Bowl. He said oh, that he kids. told his kids he was retiring, but NFL Films held on to the footage, didn't release it publicly. That was great. Um, kudos yeah. to uh, NFL Films for for doing that and protecting him in uh, that sense. That was awesome to see. But you know, Brady's whole idea of going ahead and announcing with hopes of keeping some of those guys there. I mean, it's worked. You mean? You know, Chris Godwin's got now a three-year deal for $60 million. He's going to be sticking around. And, you know, Brady says he still has something to prove. I don't know what that is. I mean, he's won the Super Bowls. He did it without Belichick. And, you know, with a new team, he did it in his 40s. I don't know what he's talking about. But you know what? Tom Brady's good for the game, and he's highly entertaining, and he was still playing great football this past year. Um, I think that he should keep on playing until – you know, and, until he can't play good football anymore. And the way he played last year, I want to see more Tom Brady this year. So I'm okay with it. Fine with me that Tom Brady is at back. You think this is the last year? I don't know. I don't know at this point. I would lean towards yes, but, you know, maybe he had a realization that, you know what, maybe I want to keep on playing two or three more years now. I mean, who knows? I mean, it's hard to figure out exactly. But – uh, with that being said, you know, when I when I left when I get this real quick, when I left Tampa Bay after that game, I didn't leave there. Maybe I was riding so high because the Rams won, but I didn't leave there thinking, "Oh, that might have been Tom Brady's last game." It took me until the next day to really be like, "What if?" Yeah. Um, you know, so I don't think anybody was expecting him maybe to retire. I wasn't. Um, so. Who knows? Uh, Tom Brady could be – this could be it, or, you know, like you mentioned, it could be three more years. 
The biggest surprise for me of these moves, Tom, uh, of what we've seen besides Brady coming back and, and the trades that have occurred, but of the true free agent moves, for me, it's the Von Miller deal to Buffalo. Six years, $120 million, a guy that is on the back end of his prime that played very well. He is coming off a season, not this past year, but the year prior where he was out the entire year, um, you know, due to injury and such. Six years, $120 million. The first two years of it are fully guaranteed. Nothing fully guaranteed after that. To me, that was a bit of, su- of a surprise. I mean, it's, I think for the Bills, it's a, it's a huge deal for them. Um, but for me, the story of it is the loss that it is for the Rams and the Broncos. The Broncos thought they were getting him back. I know that they ended up getting Randy Gregory. And so, you know, that was, that was a nice pickup for them. The Rams, you know, would have liked to have him back too. You know, you, you trade him, give up that pick with the thoughts of that he's going to be there a while, not just, you know, for the short term. To me, it's not only the the gain for the Bills and the money that Vaughn gets, but it's the fact that two teams essentially are affected by this that thought they were going to have Vaughn Miller here, Tom. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would, you know, as a Rams fan, I would have loved to have Vaughn Miller back. Um, but, I mean, hell, at that price point, um, you know, I think at that point the Bills were the only team in the market that were going to offer something like that. Um, you know, I, and Von Miller, he played great for the Rams, was, I think, integral in, in, in the Super Bowl, you know, the whole season for the Rams when he they picked him up. Um, but to say six years, $120 million, uh, I mean, that, that sounds like it could be in four years a not very good contract. Yeah, yeah, it, it Maybe. could be. Um, the Deshaun Watson situation, at the time we're taping this, Deshaun is still a member of the Houston Texans, and it's down to four teams, the Atlanta Falcons, the Cleveland Browns, the Carolina Panthers, and the New Orleans Saints. And if it's Atlanta, it's a homecoming, although they are not a very good football team, and you know they don't have any talent there. Uh, I mean, it would be it'd be a project for him there in Atlanta. Cleveland, there's some talent there, but you just let go of Jarvis Landry. He did bring in Amari Cooper, but I, I didn't really understand why they let go of Jarvis. I think Jarvis is still a really good receiver in this league. Um, Carolina is a hot mess. That roster's got a lot of holes. New Orleans, a decent team, but they have a lot of holes in their roster too. Um, to me, Tom, none of those seem like perfect situations. If I'm Deshaun, I think the best of those four is probably Cleveland there. But I don't know if they're going to have an adequate trade package that they can provide the Texans now that Deshaun's been cleared of criminal charges. Now the civil suits are still going on. He's still likely to face the suspension because even though that he sat out last year, he still was fully paid. He hasn't you, you haven't been punished if you still receive money. OK, he, he got 18 million dollars free last year, essentially what he got. He will be suspended for at least half of this upcoming season, I would think. Um, with all that being said, Tom, uh, Cleveland seems like the best of those four destinations, but I don't think it's necessarily a great option for Watson either. I mean, getting out of Houston is good, but those four, I, I thought that he could do better than those four. Yeah, I think, too, I mean, 
hell, what about Seattle? What about the 49ers? Um, you know, what about you the know, maybe 49. All right. I mean, there's so many other better teams, um, you know, and, and maybe whatever team he goes to that frees up a quarterback for the Colts, uh, you know, because they have uh, without one right now, it seems, unless you want to go with the, obviously the obvious choice after that would have been a rookie. But, um, you know, it's going to maybe wherever he goes, he'll free up, you know, whether it be Sam Darnold, Jameis Winston, uh, Matt Ryan, Baker. But, you know, it's, it's, it's weird for the Browns here, right? Because they're, they're in the ring, sure. And, I'm not going to say it's a done deal to the Browns or anything, but it, it does seem like that Baker has already said his goodbyes to the city of Cleveland. So if, if that's the case, if he doesn't go to Cleveland, then you have a, a probably a not so happy Baker Mayfield. Um, and then the Browns are putting back in the same position of, I don't know. Baker seems like the kind of guy that they've already pissed him off, that he'll demand a trade or they'll, he'll fight his way out of Cleveland. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. a landing spot for a Baker, a uh, franchise that's, you know, their, their people have already uh, said they'd be interested and they'd love to have him and, and hyped a lot of praise is uh, Indianapolis. And Indianapolis has been through quite the quarterback carousel since uh, Andrew Luck retired and such. Maybe Baker could bring some stability. I still think, Tom, that Baker Mayfield can be a franchise quarterback in this league. You can win a Super Bowl with, with, uh, with Baker Mayfield. Um, you know, you think about, I thought Chris Sims made a good point the other day. Chris Sims said, look what Jimmy Garoppolo did, taking the Niners to the NFC Championship this past year and the Super Bowl a couple of years ago with all the talent they had around him in San Francisco. You don't think Baker Mayfield could do that? He could do that and then some. I would take Baker over Garoppolo right now in a heartbeat, um, you know, given the choice, given the option there. I think that's realistic. If you want to know what you can get out of Baker Mayfield, I think you can get a quarterback that, when healthy, is at the very least better than Garoppolo, I think, personally. I would I would make a move for for Baker uh, if for, for that. I, I'd take him over Jimmy G anyway right now, Tom. Yeah, and as much trash as I've talked on Baker Mayfield over the years, I'd probably take him over Jimmy G, too. It's just funny that the Browns may have screwed themselves out of a quarterback um, that was least serviceable um, for them and, and pretty much, I don't know, gave the Browns actual hope first time in a long time. Um, so if they don't win the Deshaun Watson um, sweepstake, then, you know, at that point, God knows what's going to happen to the Browns. Back to mediocrity with them. Um, the two idiots of uh, this cycle so far tom for me it's uh i have two awards to give out one is to the jags that were dumb enough to pay christian kirk all that money a uh, average receiver in this league and you know he's making upwards of over 20 million dollars a year just ridiculous but then stephen jones of the cowboys jerry son um you know comes to a deal with randy gregory who's been very loyal to that franchise, been there since 2015. He's had a very good career. And then you back out of the deal. Um, you try to change the terms before it gets signed. Go back on your word. You already announced he's re-signing. And then 15 minutes later, the Broncos end up signing him. And now you've also hurt your credibility and your reputation 
and such through the process here. Tom, what was funny about that for me was that seemed like such a Jerry move. And now if you're a Cowboys fan, you know, everybody, I think in Cowboys Nation was, you know, holding their breath, hoping that Steven, when he takes over the franchise, would be the savior of some sorts, that he would do things the right way and have bring in football people and, you know, a GM and such. And knowing that it was Steven that screwed up this Randy Gregory deal, I think now Cowboys fans are, you know, all, you know, all shaken up a bit because that's the future of their franchise. And he's already screwed up stuff before he even takes it over. Yeah, that would be a Dallas thing to do, wouldn't it? Right. But I don't know the the, you know, I'm not necessarily the biggest character guy. The players that he's good. You want him on the team. Sure. I, you know, I've been a fan of Randy Gregory just because of his, you know, his history. I feel like he's been given uh, essentially the world in terms compared to some other guys who may have faced similar like charges. Um, so I'm not the biggest Randy Gregory fan by any means. Um, so they can have him um, in mile high, but. Uh, you know, in terms of an overall football player, sure he's good, and and it 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 did seem like Stephen Jones just whoop, you know, messed that, slipped on a banana peel of some sorts. I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah. So uh, there you have it. That's our look around the uh, National Football League this week here on the Jones Report. Final segment before we wrap up today's show. It is time for our Tom. Fullery story of the week. Tom, where shall we head out to this time? Jones were going uh, where, you know, uh, you can feel God tonight. Um, if you didn't get the reference. Chili's. We're going to Chili's. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and God, I feel like, what did what what, what Jan say? Uh, um, I feel God in this Chili's tonight, yeah. Chili's tonight, yeah, that's right. Oh, Jones, so, you know, you win some lotto money, right? You, you win a little bit of not lotto money. You you win, you know, you, you win a sizable purse playing golf. Okay. You know, where are you going to go? You win three, let's say you win 300000 over $300,000. Okay. Where's, where's the first place you're going? Um, Obviously, to the back. But where are you going to eat? Uh, I'm going to go to uh, Ruth Chris. Yeah, exactly. You know, you want to go somewhere nice. Um, that was not the case here. Um, you know, after here's, here's comes from Outkick.com. After winning three hundred golfer Max Homa dined at an airport in Chili's. $327,220.22 can afford you a lot of food. Apparently can't buy you chicken tenders from Chili's, that staple of Americana that was caught once coined new golf course. Pro golfer Max Homa finished this weekend's Players' Championship Tournament in sixth place, earning him just under $330,000. Upon winning, he celebrated like a novice salesman with a cheap flight delay and the company credit card. He traded himself to Chili's. Only one problem. They were out of chicken tenders. I'm currently chatting with Homa at the Jacksonville Airport, Chili's tweeted. Or Airport Chili's tweeted for powers of Golf Digest. He ordered chicken tendies, and the waitress came back and said they ran out. Day ruined. Homa confirmed the somber new tweet of his own. This was devastating. 
no longer an option. Homa didn't need a caddy to advise him how to keep it in the chicken family, but pivoted to the bone-in variety. When a fan joked that he should have made the other nearby patrons an offer that are left over tender, Homa responded, nah, I got buffalo wings instead. Solid backup plan, all things considered. Some would argue buffalo wings should have been the first choice, but that's an argument for another day in another airport. Jones, I'm really hoping this doesn't start a like come out with a new country song. You know, instead of Applebee's, it'd be Chili. Yes, Chili's on a Chili's on a Sunday in an airport, and they're out of chicken tendies. You can be my blue cheese ranch. I don't know, skillet case of delight. That's how we do. That's how we do something like that. You know, uh, the best thing about chilies for me is those bacon cheese fries. I don't mind those. I think mine is, I, I, I mean, it's cliche, but I do really like the chips and salsa. Okay. And their skillet queso is solid. I mean, I would take chilies over Applebee's any day. Yes, 100%. Um, not even close. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's close. I agree with you there. I'm trying to think of another. I mean, I would put in like a fast food, fancy dining restaurant or an average, you know, not upper scale. You get, you know, like more of a where you would go like with the family after church is a chilies place, right? Right. You throw chilies in there and Applebee's in there. Well, I think of another restaurant that would fall in the same. Same vein. Hell, I'd put Buffalo oh. Wild Wings in the same vein that you'd put Chili's and Applebee's in. Yeah, I hop. Yeah, I guess. Um, uh, I've been in an airport Chili's. Uh, I've had that. I've done that thing before. Um, the key is, okay, here, here's your key to getting through Chili's. Is, from my experience, with the appetizers and the food and such... You need a lot to drink uh, to get through eating chilies. And so what I do, a pro move is, even if I'm by myself, what well, it doesn't matter, I order two ice waters, not one. And then I have them, by the time they're ready to refill, then it, at least one should be empty then. I, I, that's faster for me, just to go and order two waters instead of one. That's not too bad. Usually, if I, I, I tell you what I like about Chili's, too, I think they have, for, for being what they are, I think they have a, a good price margarita, especially like the, the frozen ones. For what they are, they're a good price. They're like five bucks. Isn't it all just sugar, and though? Like, I mean, but it does have alcohol in it. I think they're delicious in the summertime going to Chili's. And I think there's some that don't get wrong. It's been. Last time I went to Chili's was on my dad's birthday, which was in October. It's the last time I've been to Chili's. And then before that, I couldn't really tell you. Your dad to Chili's um, for his birthday? That's where he wanted to go. It was like a Sunday, low-key. I drove back to Bartlesville from Tulsa just for it. You know, all the good restaurants that are in Bartlesville are usually closed on Sunday. Uh, you know, it was kind of an in-out. Everyone came. Everybody left real quick type deal um but yeah 
So he doesn't even like to. He 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 would have rather cooked something at the house that would have been better than chilies anyway. But they insisted we went and um, did that. And that's the you know I did not. I you know this thing about chicken tendies, you know chicken tenders. That's I that's child's play. Um, you know if you're gonna get chicken tenders, at least make them like buffalo. You know, like put a sauce on them. Right. You know, or do what your friends at uh, 23rd Street Brew do and take chicken tenders, throw them in buffalo sauce, and then put them on a delicious mac and cheese. Um, don't give me chicken tenders by themselves. Also, on the record, for the record, honey mustard's trash. Yeah, I'm not a huge honey mustard fan. Not at all. Like, if you're going to get chicken tenders, what's your sauce? Obviously, like, I'd rather have them tossed in buffalo sauce, but I, I'll take ranch. Yeah, I'll take ranch. Mustard. I'm a simple guy. Just give me some ranch. That's fine. Right. I don't need. I don't need your honey mustard. Right. Yeah. I think it's. I'll, I'll, I think it's a sweet mustard. I'm really. I can't be doing it. I'm not a fan. I'll even do blue cheese before I would do the honey mustard. Yeah. Exactly. You know, some people are just like, "Give me, you know, the chicken tendies basket and honey mustard," and I'm like, "Bruh." Are you like seven? <laughs> like you can do much better than this. Chili's has way better options. Even their what is it? What's it called? Like their old time burger or whatever. Yeah, bacon cheese, way better than chicken tenders. All yeah, those chicken tenders are right out of a frozen bag of chicken dropped into a fryer, and they're charging you like twelve bucks for five of them. I usually do like that farm burger, the egg on it when I go to Chili's. Like that, yeah. that does it for me. Oh yeah. That's good. Egg and bacon and cheddar cheese, you know, that that hits. It's much much better than chicken tenders. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. You don't get you don't go out to eat to go eat chicken tenders unless you're going to like Dairy Queen and only spending you know five bucks or whatever and get yourself a little ice cream sundae or something with it too. Now, I will say, Tom, one of the things that it's that has excited me about this move I've made to DFW. I got like the holy trinity of fast food burgers now. I got Whataburger, In-N-Out, and Brahms. You can't beat that. That is true. I did have Whataburger the other night and uh, for the first time in some time. And it was, uh, it, it hit. It hit hard. I mean, the, the patty if we're going to power oh, rank the three, oh, Whataburger's oh. one, In-N-Out's two, Brahms is three. Brahms, what, what hurts it is that they it gets cold so fast you can't just take it home and eat it you got to eat it there it's it, it gets i think that being around all that ice cream it makes the burgers get a little cold faster yeah i'd like to know the sense behind it because you're absolutely right it does somehow get cold fast which like one burger for me is always like i feel like steam hot right. every time i get one um, and I don't know, you know, maybe it's the wrapping, but Brahms, what they put theirs in kind of like a little foil pack, right? And I love so maybe they get to switch up the wrap. You know, I and to be honest, I go to Brahms other than the ice cream, but I, I do like Brahms cherry limeades, maybe oh, yeah. not as much as Sonic, but I do like a solid cherry limeade. I think Brahms is probably known more for everything else, like than their burgers. I mean, you got the little grocery store there with the good chocolate milk. You got the ice cream, the cherry limeades. The burgers are like an afterthought. 
That is true. They do have really good chocolate milk. Man, that sounds good right now, too. I know what's the time we're recording this? Literally 1048. Um, but, man, I could go for a big toss. Milk. Golly, we're talking about the wrong time, Jones. I I like chocolate milk. Uh, white milk's nasty. Chocolate milk's good, uh, especially that Brahms chocolate milk. I, I don't know. Brahms has good white milk, too. Um, you know, some some people listen to it like, how are you going to drink, you know, milk? Or a lot, of, a lot of people don't like milk. Sure. I don't really. I can't. Jones, I can tell you last time I bought a, a carton of milk to drink. Usually it's used like I use it in cooking. Right. Um, I can't remember the last time I drank white milk. What about cereal? See, like I'll put it in the cereal, but I won't drink it after. Well, you don't finish off the, the the cereal milk? No. Really? I put just a little dab of milk, just enough where my cereal isn't dry, and then I don't drink the milk. Interesting. <laughs> See, I like I like a good like a like a good whole milk. Um, like with brownies, oh man, or like a, a, a cookie, some of the, or anything rich dessert. Yeah, that's good for do- dunking and dipping, but not for drinking. Yeah, okay, I, I can get you there. But you like you do like a good glass of chocolate milk, huh? Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. You got me right. I think that's what I'm at morning. I'm writing that down. I'm I'm going to the Daylight Donuts and get me a chocolate milk. I love it. Uh, and that will about do it upper, for upper, show. Upper echelon of drinks. Yes. We will end on that note. Everybody go get themselves some chocolate milk. And we'll see you back here next week. Big thanks to the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, for stopping by and joining us. As always, you can subscribe to the Jones Report. New episodes out each and every Thursday at Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. And you can find us on social media, facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, facebook.com forward slash Studio Soapbox, Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, Twitter at uh, Thomas underscore Bridges, Twitter at Studio underscore Soapbox, Instagram, Jones underscore Report, Tyler Jones Live, Insta Thomas. You can find us there. And uh, we appreciate you, the listener, for hanging out here on today's show as well. And also... Make sure to uh, check out the Studio Soapbox Network. This show, Raw Tools with Luke Slaybaugh, Coach Bo, his show. You just heard him a little while ago, the Coach Bo Knows show. And uh, also, you'll have to uh, check out the uh, Bevo Boys and uh, among others as well uh, within our network. And Let's Go Racing with David Starr as well. So uh, all those shows available uh, on wherever you listen to podcasts. We got to run. We will see you right back here next week. Thomas Bridges, Brian O'Connor, Brian Haney, our entire crew of Tyler Jones. So long. This has been another edition of Jones Report. We'll see you next week.